I'm not going to listen to this. Wait, you're chanting. I'm not going to Wait. hear this now. Smoke presents the Pure Cinema Podcast. What's up, Bri? How you doing, sir? I'm feeling romantic. <laughs> I, I ate a dinner with you. It we was, had a couple drinks. It was quite nice. Uh, we're now lying in our cozy little bunker. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that if pure if PCP is doing romance, things are going to get weird. Yes, indeed. There's no way this is going to be just a straight fire episode. Uh, I mean, you know, we'll see. I don't know what's in store here. Yeah, this could this could be strange. I know this is uh, episode two of the new season. Uh, we still got our uh, friends at Pink Smoke, uh, you know, repping the show up top. We also have something different change from last week because uh, we have the character cards. Mm-hmm. The Our director's ABCs that were all selected by me and Brian. Uh, for those who don't understand how they've been picked, they aren't the exact same uh, titles as mentioned in our Patreon. That's almost like, you know, the inspiration for it, but different titles. Yes. Uh, Brian took A, I took B, and then on and on, and then we kind of reconferred. So you'll you'll see some eclectic picks in there that don't necessarily mesh with somebody who's going, oh, I saw somebody comment, Bunwell better be B. It's like, well, of course that pops in my head, but uh, good luck topping Albert Brooks in modern romance Yes, as a pure cinema uh, yeah. podcaster. So that was important to us, uh, but it's super fun. And Ryan Biddle's kicking butt. He's trying to crank out one every week or two, you know, so it'll be a little irregular, but uh, we love them, what he's doing. It's so much fun, and so he's fantastic. Yeah. So once we get, uh, you know, as I wrote on, as I trolled him, I just said, "Look, man, I'm just <laughs> looking forward to Z." Oh, because wow. if you can't guess what my Z is going to be, <laughs> and, and you got to know that the whole alphabet was basically pre-selected, so as I could end up on Z. That's all I knew is that I needed to land on Z. Obviously. Uh, anyway, so it's, that's a fun thing we're doing in between, and that directly ties into the Patreon, which we've got. Um, we just, you know, uh, have been putting out a couple new recent ones. So you know, make sure you go by there check out what the content is. It's good fun. Yeah, we just put up our February Blu-rays, which will be a week old by the time this goes up. But uh, GHI for the director series is coming up soon. Yeah, so. it might already be out by the time this comes out. Yeah. I'm not even sure how, yeah. uh, we'll how our m- schedule is. But uh, yeah, so for this episode, we were uh, talking romance and quote marks. I also wrote, isn't it romantic? And then put a question mark. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like where your list is going already. I don't even know. But uh, all I know is that we knew this episode would be coming out around uh, Valentine's Day. So it's always fun to kind of uh, hit some of these topics, because especially because there's a lot of movies we don't tend to probably address in our regular list that might strand to this category as always and I actually want to get better about that this this season I realized now that we've got two seasons on our belt at the top of the show I really want to like try to remember all the things all the, all the all the movies we've already discussed I'm going to put a little bit more effort into trying to go back and like nail them I didn't do it this time I've got a few that kind of come under this category that would be on this list but we've already talked about them. so and I think part of that is because for all I know somebody's listening to this episode for the first time and yelling at their radio (laughs) saying, well, I got that when we did America. I got the feeling like when we asked people which movies represent America, I felt like a lot of the tweets coming in were things we mentioned on previous episodes. Yeah, there were things we mentioned or like super iconic. 
like, which I totally yeah. get. That's great. And know? that was the question we we're asking. We we're, we're asking like what come in, came into your uh, mind first. So so in the same way, I feel like it's important to like keep the movies that we've already mentioned in the conversation because, you know, it, even though we're not going to likely recycle too many times, I'm sure it will happen here and there because it might just, you know, you might have something new to say or new context. But um, so I don't know if you've caught many of these. For me, there's a couple biggies because of the topic. Like uh, I talked about Wuthering Heights in our last Danny Perry episode. And for me, that would be probably my number one in a topic like this. It's something that I always I always viewed in this topic. Uh, Limelight by Chaplin. Lovers on the Bridge was the one I oh, definitely would have in my chilly scenes of winter, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Modern Romance. Uh, Miracle Mile. I think Miracle Mile is one of the most romantic movies, a period. Like when I think about where that movie goes in the ending, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's so interesting. And in terms of like kind of um, contrasting a romance, a burgeoning romance with the end of the world. It's kind of an amazing film. Yeah. Um, Sunrise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Murnau. Well, I was just thinking, like I talked about uh, Miracle Mile on the extended handshake because that was oh, yeah, one of my yeah. extended handshakes. And how it was one of the first movies my wife and I watched. Big time romantic movie for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on that episode, Valley Girl. Huge, huge Yeah, movie. and I even thought that that could totally come back. And that's the kind of thing where I think going for. I know we don't place rules on ourselves, but we do kind of have our unspoken uh, vibes that we're, we're both kind of like, eh, well, you know, we want to get to as many movies as we can. Um, but I, I, I definitely thought of that uh, in context with you. And uh, anti, anti-romance as well, uh, a movie like A Place in the Sun, you know, the, one of the first films I think I talked about on this podcast, one of my favorites, uh, which is obviously built around a lot, a lot of my list, I feel like, are movies built around the idea of romance that sometimes the characters don't actually know what that means or are figuring that out. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really approach it with a a firm, you know, angle. I just kind of went with my gut, but then found like patterns emerging, which is always interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd also know we both have a mutual love of trust. Yes. What time is it? 5.03. Did you mean it? Would you marry me? Yes. Why? Because I want to. Not because you love me or anything like that, huh? I respect and admire you. Isn't that love? No, that's respect and admiration. I think that's better than love. How? When people are in love, they do all sorts of crazy things. They get jealous, they lie, they cheat, they kill themselves, kill each other. It doesn't have to be that way. Maybe. And that's a movie that could have probably appear on either of our lists if we hadn't already brought up Hal Hartley's Trust. So if you've never seen Hal Hartley's Trust, great movie, especially for a certain age when I was like mid-20s, perfect movie. Mm-hmm. I, I question whether I would have the same like impulse if I was seeing it for the first time now. I'm sure I'd like it, but I think there's something about being that age, you know, and feeling kind of like slightly lonerish. Yeah. Like that Martin Donovan character. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad it's fully available you can mm-hmm. buy the blu-ray right now you know what i mean like there was a point when that one was really not that easy to see as a lot of hal hartley's weren't oh yeah no that, that was a tough one and then uh one you mentioned on our uh, hitchcock list I, I mean i think hitchcock in general when i think of like the kind of banter i want from a romance i think north by northwest has some of the best i started again at christmas and just watching their interaction their back and forth same with rear window 
the way these characters relate, it's just, it's so endearing and strong. Like, you know, obviously Hitchcock uh, gets a lot of shit now and uh, post looking back at his attitudes, especially from the stories about him and Tippy. Yeah. But like, what's ironic is I feel like he's so progressive in the way he actually shows the role of women in a lot of his films. It's true. And so it's, you know, so it's always a shame when that's, uh, you know, the, the kind of what's remembered. Did uh, I, did I ever tell you my... <laughs> My North by Northwest screenplay story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever told that. It's not that great a story, but basically when I was in college, I wrote a script about, and one of my favorite scenes in it was, you know, this sort of uh, wish fulfillment idea of a girl that I wanted to date. And, and there was a scene where this guy goes to meet his girlfriend at a bar and he sits down and they immediately go into the train back and forth between Eva Marie Saint and Cary Grant. Just the whole scene. They just, oh, no no opening comment. They're just uh-huh. like, how's the trout? It's trouty. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, that's the girl that I, at that time, I was like, that's the girl I want to date. Is the one that I can sit down in a bar and just start doing North by Northwest. Oh, yeah, you that's know? funny. That's how romantic yeah, that yeah. was to me. No, it's, I mean, it's really great because, and a big part is obviously who Eva Marie Saint is, the character, which you don't know straight away, right? But the fact that she's willing to just dive right in to hiding this guy it's great it's and and i think that's the difference between movies and real life like that's the kind of character that exists in movies you know what i mean in that within that bubble but uh yeah so there's uh, that that's stuff that i caught there uh, were there any jumping out at you that we've touched on that kind of would no i think you've covered everything that i that i can think of but i know that there's some other romantic stuff in there it's i mean coming of age and romance is definitely something Pretty linked that, yeah. yeah they're they're just a big part of the kind of movies that i go for you know yeah so I'm I'm blanking right now on uh, other stuff, but I'm sure as we go, I might recall some. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely try to make an effort when we do these to recall some of these old titles, just out of fear of otherwise they don't get mentioned for a few years, you know. Yeah. Um, there's so much good stuff, but uh, so yeah, so let's. Well, actually, uh, before we jump into our list, uh, part of this uh, and this one, we don't have to go into it much because it's still up. But we actually have not seen many movies together in person, but we got to see Phantom Thread in its opening kind of week. And 70 millimeter. And I think that's part of what spawned this, this idea of, for one, it's a really, you know, a brilliant movie. Interesting that like, like some of our uh, friends, even on Twi- film Twitter and these kind of, uh, haven't, uh, haven't actually fallen for this movie, which is always interesting to see who did. But we both seem to come out of that with a very similar opinion that we just seen like a masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, it's still my favorite. And I've seen pretty much everything from last year now and nothing's toppled it. Yeah. And, and to be honest, nothing's, I don't want to say nothing's gotten close, but there's like a level that they just, a barrier that that movie, there's something, what were you, they were saying something about, it's like a movie romance. We were talking about the difference mm-hmm. between this and something like Shape of Water, and it's just so cinematic. And not the, no, that's not quite it. I mean, Shape of Water is very cinematic too, but there's something about Phantom Thread that is just a great movie romance and just, mystery. And, and I yeah. don't mean mystery in the who who done it. It's um, it's mysterious the way romance is. Um, there's nothing mysterious about Shape of Water. Like you know, it's a good movie. Yeah. It it, st- it ceases to me from being truly like great, like a masterpiece, because it it plays all its cards all the time. You know, I feel like Phantom Thread. I mean, if you had if you had stopped it before the last thirty minutes and asked me what wh- how it was going to go, I th- I wouldn't have probably gone that way. Even though it's not like it's going somewhere totally bonkers. But no. what I really respected about the film was uh, just like it felt like just such a. Uh, such a microscopic vision of what it's like when a couple closes the door 
uh, and you don't get to see them. So you go to a dinner party with a couple and you're like, what the fuck are they doing together? <laughs> like, you know, you know, and we all have friends like that, including probably how people see us. You know what I mean? I think I've probably been that guy with in a lot of relationship where people are going like, why are they, you know, he's crazy. And <laughs> why, why is she with him? Yeah, yeah. Why is she with that uh, she really crazy, with him? crazy Kiwi? But I feel like this is the movie that like really goes all the way with like trying to figure that out. And I love that you get the vibe from the story PTA tells about where the inspiration came from when he was, you know, really sick in bed and his wife looked at him in a way he hadn't seen, a tenderness he hadn't seen for a long time, yeah. which tells you a lot about marriage, uh, that gave him this idea for this really kind of quite dark, strange love story. And Didn't she bring him some soup? Yeah, and just she really, like, he just felt like, oh, well, she loves me, but, you know, you had to get, he had to be really sick to feel that. So <laughs> I don't want to spoil the film because it's in theaters, but what I will say about this movie and the reason why I want to talk about it here before we move on is, that this is a movie that I feel like the marketing is terrible. And I think the poster, uh, you know, Tony Stella did some beautiful posters yeah. online and he, uh, you know, kind of a friend of the show and uh, his, you know, uh, painted uh, poster should have been the images, but the ones they were using, it looked like for a crowd of 65 plus, like, you know, a close-up of his face and a girl dressed in a nice dress. It just looks not a movie I want to go see. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the problems. And same with the trailer was okay. But when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, it's not the thing I thought it was going to be. And it's funny. No, Alma, what's you doing? There's tea for you. Don't put the tray on the table, please. Just take it off. I didn't ask for tea. No, but... You take it out, please. Yes, I can take it out. It's a bit late now, isn't it? I'm taking it out. Yeah, but it's a bit late now, isn't it? But I'm taking it out. The tea is going out. The interruption is staying right here with me. I gotta say, to be fair, that that marketing allowed me to like the movie more. Mm-hmm, allowed me mm-hmm. just to be surprised by it. So I just worried that some people won't go to the totally. Theater. No, they won't bother. It's yeah. fair. It's totally fair. We got lucky. But you know, anyway. So it's a great movie, but it's also the kind of romance that I'm thinking about when we talk about what's romantic because it's it's kind of real or it's honest it doesn't need to be realistic to be honest but it feels like it's it's looking at what is love what is romance uh you know some of these movies might not even be uh reciprocated romance romance can romance be a one-way street who knows so uh well i have a feeling we're gonna be jumping over some cinematic uh map tonight which <laughs> is not rare for us uh but i'm looking forward to seeing where see where, where this one goes i will say from the outset i have more recent movies on this mm. list and not that recent but recent enough that i was kind of surprised that that was a big focus for what me. year is crank two <laughs> you'll find out because that is romantic romantic having a hard on falling out of a building on fire with your heart about to stop um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so let's get into uh, first picks. All right, I'm going to go first on this one. My number five comes from 2003 and from a director that I was lucky enough to actually interview for my Perry documentary. He's a Danny Perry fan, and I feel like in a lot of ways, although now he's very much a successful, I mean, not that he wasn't successful, but he's like a big Marvel filmmaker, and that's Peyton Reed. Yeah. I'm going with Down With Love from 2003 as my number five. Catcher Block gets anything he wants. Do you look for me? Barbara Novak. Here's to Bannerhouse's new number one author. Has everything she needs. And it's all in my book. Down with love, not sex. 
my book instructs women that love is a distraction. That book is ruining my life. All our wives are giving us trouble. You have to solve this catch. Squasher! All women want love and marriage. I'm going to write the expose of the century. And I am going to make Novak fall in love. Wow! I just really like Peyton Reed a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, he is a movie guy. Like, he's a cinephile, you know? I was listening to the commentary for Down With Love, and it's really neat just to hear him talk about the detail. I mean, I remember when Bring It On came out. I was working at a video store, and... (laughs) I don't know if you're a fan of that movie. It's a fun movie. It kind I of used is. to work for Claire Kramer. She's one of the girls. Oh, really? She was uh, ran Geek Nation when Killer POV was there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That was just a big like we used to play that on the on the TV at my video store, and then I listened to the commentary, and you just hear him talking about going back and watching all the cheerleader movies and just sort of absorbing it and allowing that to sort of be part of what helped him design his movie. And I found a really great quote from him from the commentary where he's talking about the opening of this script and how they described it basically as... On the first page of Eve Allert and Dennis Drake's script for Down With Love, the very first paragraph says this, Fade In, period, studio logos, circa 1960 to 1963. From fade in to fade out, Down With Love looks like a classic cartoonish early 60s sex comedy. Every frame pops with the high gloss of 60s Technicolor. The sparkling New York City setting, all dazzling marble and glass, is an amalgamation of stock shots, obvious process shots, and backlot fake New York streets. That it not only takes place in the early 60s, but looks like it was made in the early 60s. That first paragraph of the script was sort of the general design philosophy of everything in this movie. And for me, the idea was to have uh, a tone where it had one foot in the early 60s and uh, one foot in the year 2003. Like, basically, the story is, it's 1962 New York City, and... There's a woman played by Renee Zellweger who's written a book called Down With Love, and she's basically, it's like a very pro-feminist sort of, you know, we don't need men kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's sort of being courted slash, you know, adversarialized by this um, writer who works for a magazine called No Magazine, and that guy's played by Ewan McGregor. Yeah. The magazine's called No Magazine, and he's just sort of, they, they say he's... Ladies' man, man's man, man about town, catcher block, and he's very much like James Bond meets Rock Hudson, and in know, like Flint, in like Flint, yeah. absolutely. You know, just a total um, sort of anachronistic, you know, type guy in a lot of ways, like on the way out, sort of. Yeah. But the whole movie is kind of about it's it's very much a tribute to those movies, but it's also sort of observing the idea that that sort of thinking is on the way out, even at the time that this movie is taking place. Um, is it at all Hoxian? In the dialogue or not really? Is it more like pillow talk and things like that? It's, 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 I don't, Hawk saying maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe you could say, I'm just trying, most of those sex comedies, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, like you say, pillow talk, you know, will success spoil Rock yeah. Hunter. Yeah. I mean, they definitely have a great banter and a great rapport and the dialogue is very clever. Another ruse catcher? You know, I have no interest in seeing you. But you know you have to. And you know I know you have to. I'm sure you know how things are at No ever since you're new now. I have no way of knowing how things are now at No. I knew how things were at No before now. Then you should know now at No things are a lot like they are now. We have to interview every applicant for every job, and so do you. Or you'd be going against Now's definition of discrimination, and you wouldn't want the readers of Now or No to know that now, would you? Have a seat, Mr. Block. And the movie is just incredibly well designed. Like, the he's, he talks about in the commentary, they used 
some of the canvas backings from those films in the 60s. You know, like these, there's like a certain company in L.A. that still rents out like the New York skyline that you would put outside <laughs> the window. Interesting. It's, and so they just cleaned it up. And he said that they used stock footage from that touch of mink, you know, so like when they're in the car driving around the plates, the stock footage plates are actually cinemascope plates from those movies. So there's that whole sense of like design and just the whole thing is laced with cinema, you know, a a past cinema, but it's still very modern in its way. I I don't know. There's just something I love about it. it has this great energy, but yeah, just hearing him talk about it and everything that went into it, I'm like, this is what all filmmakers should be like. And maybe right. they are, but I don't hear it. I don't feel it in the way that the, the detail I feel like goes into some other film or, or doesn't. You know what I'm saying? I, so I, I missed it because I was having a lifeless ordinary flashbacks when I saw the trailer. <laughs> I remember going, oh, no, is it going to be? It's It, it looks so stylized. <laughs> But that might be a good thing, you know, like that might be actually what works for it. I think so. I think it definitely does. I think you would like it. I mean, I feel like you're yeah. a fan of that. I can, yeah, a good movie from any kind of thing like that I can get into. You yeah. Know what I mean? But I mean, there's just great scenes where, you know, I mean, the, the supporting cast includes like David Hyde Pierce. Like he's sort of the, the editor at No Magazine that's sort of admires Catcher Block and wants to be him, but is also kind of dealing with the fallout of all his bad behavior. I don't know. There's just great scenes where they walk into a room and even the score is a throwback and they walk into a room and people are like swaying to side to side and, and people come in as somebody, there's like a great choreography to it. Anyway, it's just got a great energy. I think I might've thought it was a musical actually from memory. It does have a musical number at the end, okay. but overall it's just much more a great throwback with great energy and a lot of double entendre. It's like, I feel like it's kind of like what Austin Powers wants to be. A straighter version. Of Austin. Straighter, but still silly and fun yeah. and more clever than Austin Powers, that yeah. kind of thing. So Okay. Anyway, I, I like it a lot. I All like right. Peyton Reed a lot. That could be uh, could be one to swing back for. For some reason, when you first <laughs> the first minute when you were talking, I had um, she's so lovely in my brain. <laughs> so I was thinking, man, he's going with his number five, a Freddie Prince Jr. Like you're just coming in. She's all that. Oh, she's all that. Is yeah. that the one? Which yeah. one? Who's she? So oh, she's so lovely. That's in Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's a good, good film. too. That, that could have been film. on my list that actually. Could, that could have been. All right, I got to go with the um, a beautiful love story about a middle aged man who has the same first and last name, uh, who's in love with a adolescent preteen. <laughs> prepubescent girl and gaslights the mom uh i'm just kidding i'm not picking lolita (laughs) because that would be highly inappropriate in the current climate for me to pick lolita so i'm not going to do that but i thought it would be funny if i did um my number five and i love lolita actually i love kubrick's lolita but not for a romance episode so my real number five is a movie that i remembered seeing um about halfway through it one time it was on tv and I wanted to rewatch it to make sure because it, it was a movie I'd never heard people really discussing. It's a romantic comedy, and I, I circled back to rewatch it this week to make sure it was as good as I remember. And I'm telling you, this movie, there's a lot of you'll see when I pick this, uh, given the cast, a lot of other movies you could put in a spot like this. But something about this movie holds up, and that is my number five is Heartburn by Mike Nichols, uh, 1986. Uh, this is Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. Mark Foreman. Is he single? He's famous for it. I don't believe in marriage. Neither do I. The minute you get married, you start to drive each other crazy. For 20 years, he's been terrible to women. You're the only person he's ever treated decently. To marriage. Having a baby. Yeah. Oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when people hear those names, a lot of other, you know, Ironweed or, or whatever it might be conjured up. This is a movie that I didn't really know what it was based on until now. But I remember seeing part of this movie and seeing that chemistry and screen and laughing my ass off years ago. And I was like, what is that movie? And I wrote it down, but for whatever reason, didn't circle back to now. I would put the first 30 minutes of this movie up against any romantic comedy in the history of the genre. In fact, I would say it is the best for opening as a whole, it becomes a very different movie as it goes because it starts as a traditional romantic comedy. And when I explain what this is based on, it'll make a lot more sense and is actually pretty interesting to now. So what, what I didn't realize, besides this being a Mike Nichols film, it's actually uh, Nora Ephron's first uh, screenplay. She didn't direct it. I've never seen this, by the way. Okay, this movie, you're going to love it. Uh, I mean, and I'm telling you, you just watch the first 20 minutes and you're going to think it's just so funny um, and so smart. And the char- you'll love, you love the characters. The fr- oh my God, there's a, we'll, we'll to it. So anyway, based on Nora Ephron's, she wrote a book. I didn't know this about Nora Ephron, but she was married to Carl Bernstein, one of the main characters of All the President's Men. Wow. So one of the two men, two journalists who broke the whole Watergate story. Um, and he, he's on CNN almost every night these days, kind of especially weighing in about uh, Trump and, uh, you know, his eventual uh, demise. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this is about their marriage. But of course, I didn't know much about it when I started watching this movie. Uh, they fall in love in the first 30 minutes. Uh, the, he wants to get married to her. She doesn't want to. He's, he's like Jack Nicholson plays like the bachelor of Washington, D.C. Like, no one can tie him down. And he goes to a wedding in the opening scene, and he's just sitting there, and he looks over at her, and she looks back at him. They give each other, like, a sexual look. She's next to her boss, is Jeff Daniels, who's a very young editor of uh, a magazine, and two of her friends, and they all look at the... She goes, don't look, but there's a guy over there. And all four of them look, and it's just a great moment where Jack notices, and it's like, of course, he's going to move in. And they're like, she's like, do you know anything about uh, this guy? And they're all like, oh, yeah, he's the bachelor of, you know, Washington. And so slowly, they obviously... They come together. She doesn't want to get married because she thinks he'll change it, and he wants to get married. And there's one of the funniest wedding scenes at the start of this movie. The first 25 minutes are so unbelievably great. It's hard to imagine uh, somebody kind of nailing something uh, as well as this. But then what happens, it becomes, because it's based on this book, the true story is they were married. They had two kids, and she was like seven months pregnant with the second kid where she found out that he was basically having an affair with another woman in town. And so that's all autobiographical. And so from there, the second kind of half of this movie becomes super focused in on the Meryl Streep character and becomes, it's still funny, and it's really touching the whole way through, but it's not funny funny in the way that the first act is, because also Jack's not in it so much. Um, But it becomes a film really about a character figuring out can you leave someone? How do you do that? Even if you you still love them the same, you have two kids, you have all this stuff shared, how do you actually like up and like break it off? And and so it's this really interesting structure. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons it hasn't been remembered necessarily as a classic. I actually think it should be, this is a film due for revision in my opinion, like because the, it's, A, it's Mike Nichols. So you already know it's not going to be Especially in, at this in this period, um, it's Jack. I think you know one of the last really great eighty six. You know, it's still doing great. But I actually think this might be my favorite Meryl Streep, and that's pretty bold. Wow! Because she gets to do things <clears throat> that she I haven't seen her do before. I, I you know I watch something like The Post, and I'm like, eh, it just it's there's nothing wrong with her, but it all feels a little mannered to me. Uh, this is completely real, and what she's going through. And I think you know also Nora Ephron's always been a beautiful writer. You know, especially with the romantic comedy setup. I mean, you know, Harry Met Sally, uh, unbelievable. So what's one of the great things is they like 
their first house together is this house that needs work, you know, and it, it just has all the stuff that isn't done construction wise. And that's how it is the whole marriage, like watching the movie, like they have all these plans, nothing ever happens. But here's the fun part uh, for the cinephiles. Um, what's really funny is a, a, a certain director plays an actual character in this movie. Milos Forman is in the movie, and it must have just because him wow. and Jack were all buddies. And he plays like the guy dating one of their friends, so they're at like a multiple dinner parties, and he's just always really crass and always like you know making just kind of kind of sexist opinions. But there's a scene at the start where they're getting married, and he's like an extra in the back, and he, he's the only person you can always see standing, out, and he's just trying to watch them, and you can just tell it's that classic like directors make the worst actors. <laughs> like he's clearly just fucking up the scene because he's really. <laughs> excited to be in a movie for change but I'm a Milos is a big influence on my taste like his early films are mean a lot to me and anyway this is this is a really special movie and uh, you know I, I would just dare anyone to watch the start of this movie and see if you don't get sucked into the story and then start reading up about it because it doesn't it doesn't call him Carl like there's definitely some liberties taken to free them up because she's you know she's a writer for a magazine as we know uh, you know Nora what happened after this would have been uh, for Nora's career but it also makes it kind of amazing that she went from that to being actually quite a powerhouse in Hollywood. But the true stretch, if I do say so, was playing me in Heartburn. I highly recommend having Meryl Streep play you. If your husband is cheating on you with a car hop, get Meryl to play you. You will feel much better. If you get rear-ended in a parking lot, have Meryl Streep play you. If the dingo eats your baby, call Meryl. She plays all of us better than we play ourselves, although it's a little depressing knowing that if you went to audition to play yourself, you would lose out to her. Some days, when I'm having a hard day, I call up Meryl and she'll come and she'll step in for me. She's so good, people don't really notice. I call her at the end of the day and find out how I did, and inevitably, it's one of the best days I've ever had. Anyway, heartburn, uh, really under under. I've I've never heard somebody talking about heartburn. That's, no, I, that's why I'm kind of excited to get to bring it up. Yeah, I'm just I'm blown away that it's a Mike Nichols movie, and I I knew that, but somehow I cross it with like Heartbeat and uh-huh. like some other movies. One well, like Ironweed looks Ironweed pretty dull, too. Yeah, you know, it's between Heartbeat, which is that Jack Kerouac thing with uh, uh, Kathleen Turner and and John Hurt and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, John Hurt. Um, yeah, and, and for some reason, it just lives in that blind spot between those two movies, and I just blocked it completely out. I think for, especially if you're married and you're listening to this, I think that there'll be a lot of truths in the way romance, and again, this is why we picked these movies. This, for me, is a realistic depiction of how th- romances can change. A romance, I think I think genuinely, if you watch this movie, you would think, I do think those two people are perfect together. I think the problem is uh, certain structures change people. Like, I don't think the Jack character probably should have been married. And they they might have been fine not getting married soon as they're married he becomes somewhat different and his and kind of a cage an animal so it's fascinating to watch how romance changes but and, and probably if they're if they're surveyed at the end of their marriage they probably still loved each other so it's a it's it's just a fascinating look at that side of you know what romance means yeah you just reminded me of a movie that we've covered already that i could have maybe put on this list and that's shoot the moon which totally is thought of that too really yeah. tough movie um but definitely about love and marriage and the complications of 
both things, especially when children are involved. And though that one never feels um, romantic. No, that feels like we're picking up the the back end. Yeah, which which where it burns. So I think you're, you're right in the same way. I'm not going to be bringing up possession, right? Like that movie would be a great one to discuss if we we're doing kind of only about the end. Well, if you go with the isn't it romantic question mark? Exactly. Yeah. No, and it, and it could be. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think I've done that. I no, that's a great that's a great <laughs> choice. I really now I want to check that out. I, I'm really excited for you to see that one. I'm, I'm sure I'll love it. So. <clears throat> I've got a tie here. Oh, Don't kill shit. me. Don't kill me. But but uh, again, I tried to go for this is a thematic thing that sort of ended up working out. Because I had both these movies on my list and I didn't have room. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's sort of a thing here. Oh, we're both cheating then. You have a tie and I have foreign chasers at the end. Oh, that's so right. So I, okay. I had one each, but I was going to pair it. But I'm, I'll just wait till the end. Okay. So my first part of this tie is Blast from the Past from 1999. Uh, with, with Brendan Fraser? <laughs> with Brendan Fraser. Alicia? And Alicia Christopher Silver's, Walken? And Christopher Walken. <laughs> and the mom is played by um, Sissy Spacek. In 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis was heating up, and the threat of nuclear war drove the Weber family underground. How long will we have to stay down here? 35 years. 35 years. For three decades, they lived a fairly normal life. But their son has become a man. What did you wish for, son? Now the time has come. I wish that I could meet a girl. For Adam to step out and discover the world. What is it? The sky. I have never in my life seen anything like it before. Um, But the basic idea is that... Holy shit. Basically, Christopher Walken plays a guy who... I can't remember if he's a scientist or what his deal is, but he's built a fall... In um, 1960-something, because it's 35 years later. He's he's built a fallout shelter, like a really solid fallout shelter in his backyard, and the Cuban Missile Crisis is looming, and he's having a party at his house, and the president comes on the TV and is basically like, shit's not looking good. And he goes out to the fallout shelter because he's just like, we'll go, over, we'll just kind of go in there. And then a plane crashes into their house <laughs> for some oh, that's random. That's right. I totally forgot. So that. they think it's over. They yeah. think that they're done. So they have, she's pregnant with the baby and they go into the shelter and they live in the shelter for 35 years and their house gets built over. Uh, it's like a, it's like a shake shop and then it's a bar and then he's set like a timer based on the half-life of radiation so that it won't you can, they cannot get out for 35 years. So Brendan Fraser grows up. He's kind of a aw shucks kind of leave it to beaver kind of a kid, which is really funny and charming. And then he finally gets out. Like they open the doors and, and because they're in a really bad part of, of L.A., Walken thinks that basically it really has happened and that they're in some kind of burnt out wasteland. But anyway, so then he is sent out to go basically get groceries and he ends up sort of running into Alicia because he he has some money. They've saved some money, but he also has like all these baseball cards that have been like oh, yeah. saving up in value for years and he goes to try and trade them in and she's somebody who happens to be working at a card shop and the guy at the card shop is going to rip him off and she's very cynical, but she's like, that's not fucking cool. Like, so she kind of takes him under her wing a little bit, but is also very like, what the fuck is up with this guy? And slowly he just begins to charm her. And she's got a really great gay best friend played by Dave Foley. One of the great gay best friend, friend roles, I think, ever that is always kind of like, you know, poking and prodding her about this guy and kind of also in disbelief of like, is this guy for real is kind of the, the end thing that they're always having. Can I ask you some questions? When did Alaska become a state? 1959. Okay, and uh, who owned it before we did? Russia. 
And when did we get it from them? 1867, Seward's Folly. We purchased it for $7.2 million. Tidy sum then as well as now. I'm quoting my father, of course. All right, what's the state capital? Juno. Hello, it's Anchorage. Gotcha. Mm -mm, sorry, that's the largest city. <sighs> Where's he going? He's going to check your answers on his computer. He has a computer? Sure. In the house? No, actually, it's in the backyard. Of course it's in the house. It's in there. May I be excused, please? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it becomes a really romantic and touching story, ultimately. And it's one of those movies that I feel like was really passed over at the time. It's directed by Hugh Wilson, who did like the Police Academy movies, and huh. he just passed, passed away, I believe, actually. But yeah, it just seems like such an outlandish, go goofy sort of idea for a story. Yeah, I, li I like that. I remember liking it at the time, but I have I couldn't even remember some of those plot points. It's been so long. Yeah, it, it is pretty silly. And there's a really silly thing where like the bar that's on top of their fallout shelter, the, the elevator comes up into the bar and the guy who's in the bar is like a heavy drug user and he becomes like a worshiper of them, like sees them as like some kind of gods that are coming up that's out of the ground. It's, it's the dumbest thing in the movie. But ultimately, I was really just surprised how charming the movie is. It's very fish out of water. Like, so you rewatched that for this episode? I did and I was considering Holding it. Up. Okay. And then I was like, wow, this is just really charming, you know? And it's one of my favorite Brendan Fraser performances. He's just really great in this way as this naive guy. Is that late Brendan Fraser for compared to like before it kind of things tapered off for him? I think it's I think it's post Gods and Monsters for sure, right? Yes. Yeah. I wanna say that was ninety eight. I wanna say that was the year before, which is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's starting to wind down a little bit. But yeah, it's one of those sort of video store picks. Like when I posted I was watching it, I got a lot of tweets that were like, oh, I love that movie. Just a few people yeah, that's cool. that clearly saw it at the time and remembered it and gave it a shot. But I think a lot of people haven't looked at it at all. And, and so if, well, one of the big twists that a lot of people don't know is that Polly Shore plays the same character <laughs> as Encino Man. <laughs> Buddy. Um, as his best friend. So it's really kind of a shared world, right? Absolutely. And that's great too. Um, so you've got in that movie, you got a guy from the past comes to the future more mm -hmm. or less, right? So the second part of my double here, and it's not really a double, but uh, there's a movie called Happy Accidents. Hang on a tick. Crank it back. Just rewind. Tell me again, how did you meet him? Hi, Ruby. You're not from here, are you? I am from Dubuque, Iowa. So what brings you to New York? Your face. It's one of the most romantic lies a guy has ever told me. Did you go to college out there in Iowa? Didn't need to. They planted everything I need to know right here when I was three. You want me, you want me to get the X-Files? You think I haven't noticed your little idiosyncrasies? Like he's scared of dogs? Oh, okay. Talks in his sleep? Break the causal chain. He has spells. What do you mean spells? Sometimes he just stares at things. His eyes get all glazed over, like he's in a trance. You gotta tell me what's really going on. I'm not from Dubuque. So, so where are you from then? The future. He's dead serious. You should have seen the look in his eye. Oh, come on, I'm telling you, it's just a game. Play along. Time travel is a physical impossibility. Oh, so is the light bulb, so is going to the moon, so is male pregnancy. Directed by Brad Anderson, who would go on to do... That made that. Yeah, I totally forgot that Brad. Session 9, uh -huh. I think it's two years before Session 9, uh -huh. and a much different movie in yeah. a lot of ways. But basically the idea with this one is that Vincent D'Onofrio plays a guy who claims to be from, I want to say the year 2475, I don't know, he's from the 2400s, yeah. yeah. 
and he meets Marissa Tomei, who is just delightful, but is the kind of girl who tends to involve herself with guys that need fixing. That's She's a fixer. Like a movie I almost picked for my list was Only You. Came very close oh, to my list. Oh, very nice. I love Only You, and I love Marissa Tomei. She's great. I mean, yeah. she's really great, and she's really good in this, but it's just one of those things where she's just getting out of a bad relationship. In fact, they do a montage of bad relationships. Larry Fessenden plays one of the <laughs> Really? He does. He's like, I forget, he's like a drummer or something. Oh, man, that's fun. That's it, perfect it's casting. Like one, it's like one shot is yeah, all yeah, it is. Yeah. But I thought that was really funny. Um, I want to double. Yes, yeah, Fessenden's in it. He, oh, his character's name is Junkie. I guess maybe he's not a drummer. <laughs> Given his film's habit. Yeah, you know? there you go. But, but anyway, so she starts, she runs into him in the park, and then he sort of ends up finding her again because she left a book, and then they start going out. And at first, he just seems, like, weird. Like, he just seems like... Your first instinct will be, like, is he a fucking alien? And then he starts to come out with the future story. And it's one of those kind of heartbreaking things because you're like, oh, fuck. Like, how does she deal with that? And she's just constantly wrestling with it. She's talking to her therapist about it. She's trying to work it out. And then, you know, it gets to a point where you start to realize it's true or it's not true. And I'm not going to divulge which, but it's a really well done movie. And and there's some things that are set up like that he claims to have like seen a photograph of her. And there's some other things that that play into his decision to find her that are play out in an interesting way. So it's another video store pick for me, a movie that I feel like if you didn't work in a video store around that time or if you weren't digging a little deeper, you probably would have passed right by you. Yeah, I'm surprised it's one that didn't make our um, cult picks of 2000. Could have, yeah. Because it definitely has that. I've, I've seen it on some like recent articles where there'll be like 50 movies you didn't see from this time period that you should have. So I think it's, it's totally got its that. fans for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's totally that. I, that's part of the reason I put these two together is I feel like a, you got a guy from the future coming back to the past, guy from the past going to the future. Yeah. Uh, those two go together, but also they just feel like slightly deeper cuts that like the kind of thing a video store employee might recommend to you, which is video store for your ears, baby. That's what yeah, we're about. Yeah, that's what we're here for. And if you want to do a triple, uh, I'm just going to put another plug for Encina Man. <laughs> because again, a man from the past <laughs> yeah, is thought out to hang out with Pauly Shore. Oh, buddy. Very um, romantic, very yeah, romantic. Yep, yeah, yeah, you can't go wrong. Anyway, my number four is slightly different. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's an unusual film, and I really like it. It, it actually got a lot of props at the time. It is um, David and Lisa by oh, nice. Frank Perry and Eleanor Perry. Take that, historians, because I really think Eleanor Perry's work with him is essential for his best work. Uh, from 1962, is his first film. Hello, kiddo. Kiddo, hello. David, David, look at me. Who do you see? Who do you see? Say to me what you see. I see a girl who looks like a pearl. Pearl of a girl. A girl, a pearl of a girl. 
and the tagline to it is an unusual love story, uh, which it certainly is. I this is I saw this you know if you listen to the show you know how much the swimmer means to me. Um, I came to this a few years later than that and instantly was taken by it. But I before doing this I wanted to see it again. It is on Amazon Prime right now. Um, not necessarily the best version of it. You know you could get a I think it's on Blu-ray. It's definitely on DVD. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, Scorpion put it out. Um, basically, this this is a really this is like. The kind of movie you you want to do a list like this just so you can include a film like this because it is so unique what it's saying about romance and love. It's uh, Keir D'Elia, uh, that you, who you all know from 2001, Haunting Julia, and many other films. Bunny Lake is missing. Bunny Lake is missing, yeah. That has not come up on the show yet, has it? No, I don't think so, and it's oh, a really shit. cool movie. Anyway. Uh, Janet Margolin, uh, who's had small parts in a lot of things, even like Annie Hall background, stuff like that. Her presence in this is just... Uh, like amazing. utterly charming yeah. and, and it cuts you to the to your absolute core uh, and Howard De Silva who is amazing as a psychiatrist but basically uh, David is a this very straight laced Kier Delia's character very straight laced his hair is perfect he's straight posture wears suits is coming to this uh, it's like a mental institute but it's a little more like mixed with a school um, and you know this is 1960 uh, and he enters, and as soon as he enters, somebody shakes his hand or touches his hand, and he freaks the fuck out. That's right. He thinks that, that if anyone touches him, he'll get germs and die, and he's like, do you want to die? And he just has a total full-on panic attack. But in every other way, besides seeming maybe Asperger-y, he hasn't got something where, you know, he he's out of control. Like, otherwise, he can he has, he has a lot of dark thoughts. He keeps having these dreams. I actually do these great dream sequences where you see a giant clock, and the clock hand, the person's head will be in the clock, and the clock hand will be an axe slowly coming down. Uh, so it's unusual in a way, even for Perry, who is always dealing with characters like this, it's, and it's his strength looking at unusual characters uh, with unusual mindsets. Uh, but it also actually has some kind of quite surrealist imagery. He so he checks into this place. He's you know probably eighteen or something, and as he's settling in, he doesn't seem to take to a lot of the other inmates uh, who are there for you know a lot of uh, various reasons. But there's a girl, Lisa slash uh, is it Marilyn Madeline? Uh, there's two names because she has like a disassociative identity disorder slash they call it schizophrenia. Again, this is early psychiatry, so a lot of these terms have now kind of uh, gone out of vogue or changed their meaning. And they instantly, she instantly notices them. And the way this film is shot is so beautiful. It's black and white, but it looks, so it's a drama with some romance uh, and psychiatry ideas, but it's shot more or less like a Twilight Zone episode or a noir. And it, you know the shadows and the light and the black and white photography is gorgeous. The slow camera movements in and out. Uh, it's a really beautifully made and well crafted movie. Uh, but she gives him this look when he first gets there, and he kind of notices her. They don't kind of cross paths for a while, and then he sees her. She has a childlike mind where she keeps says everything in rhyme. And so she goes, Lisa, I am, I am, Lisa, Lisa, I am. You know, what do you see? What do you see in me? That kind of thing. And she, the reason she talks like that, if she uh, stops rhyming, there's a chance that the other personality takes over. So if you've seen Split last year, you know, a lot of that's about keeping these personalities at bay. And it's quite heartbreaking. And he watches and notices her, and he notices the person who's kind of her counselor. And at one point she's crayoning on a wall, and the person really gets madder and steals the a crayon away from her and she has a complete breakdown where she really becomes the other persona and he kind of interjects saying you know that you, she doesn't need authoritarian figures you need to treat her like this so he really notices her and what's what I love about this film 
is how the, it slowly brings these two characters together in a totally untraditional love story because, you know, there's obviously not a lot of touching going on. And, and she's very childlike. So it's also, even though she isn't a child, she's probably a year or so younger than him. She feels half his age, you know, in this, which feels a little strange at times, but you grow to really appreciate it because he really sees her potential. And at one point he calls, you know, calls her a pearl of a girl and he rhymes to talk to her to really get through to her. And she totally trusts him. And it builds to some, you know, rather intense kind of moments uh, where you're really, what's so interesting is you really worry about these fragile people. And that, and I, I got to say, I think uh, Frank Perry, in terms of all directors that I love, Frank Perry, I, I, there's no one quite like the work, even though some of it's uneven, uh, in terms of dealing with people. Somebody who's truly interested in fragile beings, uh, romance, how our minds and hearts can be broken, how broken people can find each other. I mean, this, the, you know, even just looking at Swimmer, the way these two characters come together in this film is really beautiful to think that in a place as rough as that, it, it, with people who aren't even necessarily in control of their mental faculties or how they go about their day, they're coming together and may possibly surviving and, and really like uh, helping each other get through that. And uh, as well as that, also the Howard De Silva, who's the doctor, is so patient and kind and just one of those beautiful human characters that you wish more humans were like when you're watching in a movie. He's just perfect. And, you know, also all of this is contrasted with David's home life. And he comes from a wealthy life, wealthy family, and they don't want him to be in a nut house. They want him to go, you know, go to Stanford or whatever. And they're just, you know, they're kind of almost out of a Hal Ashby, uh, like uh, Harold's parents from Harold oh, and Maude, yeah. you know, a movie that would obviously be my number one if I didn't think it was so obvious, you know yeah. what I mean? I should like to change into a sunflower, most of all. They're so tall and simple. What flower would you like to be? I don't know. One of these, maybe? Why do you say that? Because they're all alike. Oh, but they're not. Look, see. Some are smaller, some are fatter. Some grow to the left, some to the right. Some even have lost some petals. All kinds of observable differences. You see, Harold... I feel that much of the world's sorrow comes from people who are this, yet allow themselves to be treated as that. Anyway, this is a a fascinating movie and um, something I didn't know uh, because watching it again, I was like, okay, it holds up. It's going on my list. This is a great great film. Um, But what I didn't realize, it 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 culminates in this great scene where they go up to the – there's an art museum in Philadelphia. They go up the steps, and it's the Rocky Steps. Oh, wow. So it was like really fun to see this scene where they were going up the steps, and you have your big thing and going, oh, it's the same ending as Rocky. So also, you know, the Eagles won this weekend, so I'm (laughs) celebrating a Philadelphia film. But, yeah, this is a great film. Great, And if you aren't uh, Perry – um, you know, aficionado yet. Uh, this is a great one to start with because it's his first one. You know? I think it was the one, I think it was the first one I saw. Interesting. Yeah. yeah maybe through a Perry book, maybe through Guide for the Film Fanatic, but I'm pretty sure I saw it before The Swimmer and it definitely got my attention. It gave me a whole other impression of Cure Delay. I was just like, oh, it's totally he's the different. guy from 2001 and that's such a cold performance. It really doesn't give you any idea of what kind of an actor or range he has. But you see that movie and you see Bunny Lake, you see some of these other movies that he did. And I'm like, wow, this guy. He's a great actor. Yeah. In this. And, and, and he uses the coldness here, but also the restraint and he holds it all back. But then you see under the <clears throat> under the surface. But I think this is a really like, you know, you, you can tell the people who made this. And I, and I hate to say it, but I do think Eleanor Perry is a big part of that. 
I think absolutely. I think a big part of like uh, picking topics of some fragile beings and really wanting to give them their time and and care. And you know, I hate to say a movie's important because that always seems like bullshit, but it does feel like an important piece. And it, and it actually was pretty well recognized at the time. I, I know it might have been at Cannes or something. You know, it, it definitely yeah, got, it got noticed. Some kind of yeah. You know, for an for an indie, and uh, I only wish he had less meddling in his career. You know, as it went along. Uh, but David and Lisa available oh, in a bunch of places. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have that Blu-ray. It's great. It's a great movie. Really good pick. I'm sort of working my way backward in time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to 1986 now. Dilly, but, dilly. <laughs> but it's still comedy-ish. Uh, the movie's called Modern Girls. Ready? Modern Girls. Featuring the music of Depeche Mode, Anthony and the Camp, Floyd Joy, Ice House, and Tony Basil. Hey! and tap you on the shoulder and that's it, right? Did you just lounge out, Margo? That, that's very hip. Uh... Starring Cindy Gibb, Virginia Madsen, Clayton Rona, and Daphne Zuniga. Cool people have feelings, too. Modern Girls. And, um... Is definitely a movie that has come now come out on Blu-ray through Kino Lorber. It's definitely come into its own as a cult film. It was something I was considering for a potential 80s cult movie episode, which we may be doing in the future. Oh, yeah, we'll see. Course, yeah. um, but I just thought this would be a good topic for it. It's a really neat movie. It's got a lot of things that I love. It's got Clayton Rohner, who is an actor that I don't know how much I've talked about on this show. Maybe a little bit on the horror triple features when I brought up uh-huh. April Fool's Day. He's oh, yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. He's in Just One of the Guys, which uh-huh. actually could have also been on this yeah, that's list. that's a fun movie, yeah. He's just a, re- you know, he's in The Relic. He... He's in I Madman. He's a really cool actor that I love, and that. I, Can we just stop the show and just do a relic episode right now? According to museum security, you were the last one to leave last night. Did you see or hear anything strange? Well, I thought I heard something as I was leaving, but it could have been anything. Sweeping teams of two. Nobody goes in alone. This place is not going to open until every room is clear. I'll go. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Any idea about a weapon? Something big. We should, dude. I really like the relic. Peter Himes is doing some sick work in that movie. I really. I think it's a really underrated blockbuster. I like that movie a lot. Tom Sizemore. Oh my crushing god, crushing it! But yeah. that's all. And the darks. It's filmed in when it's filmed in the dark. Those sequences are beautiful. Absolutely. It was one that came up a lot on my underrated 1997 mm. series, and it was great to see that because it, I can't remember if I. I know I had it on my short list. I can't remember if mm. I put it on my list, but definitely go see the relic. That's a whole yeah, other yeah. Relic, relic is a whole other. World. But it's great. Um, but yeah, Clayton Runner is really great. So basically, he plays. There's a set of three girls played wonderfully by Daphne Zuniga, mm. Cynthia Gibb, who. You'd recognize she was in like Young Blood with Patrick Swayze, the hockey hmm. movie. She's in a few movies from the eighties. Just adorable, great, warm actress. And Virginia Madsen. So those three live together. And basically Virginia Madsen is the I guess the hot one of the group. They're all incredibly attractive and delightful actresses. But she has this the the first scene of her shows her like working in a pet shop, playing with some cats, and there's like four dudes with their faces just pressed against the window. And the next shot is her getting into her car, getting picked up, and they all have like shit that they've bought from the store just clearly <laughs> nice. to make contact with her. So these girls live in LA. It's an LA movie, which is another thing I like about it. And they go out a lot. That's the the nightlife. They have dead end jobs. Zuniga works as a at a phone 
calling service, like a uh, telemarketing thing. I love that period of Zuniga's work. Like oh, the she's stuff great. She with sure thing. Sure thing. Yeah. This thing about her personality really clicked to the center. Gross anatomy, yep. even. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I like that. No, I like that. Fun to watch. Yeah, she's great, and she's really good in this. But so basically, Clayton Roner is yet another one of Virginia Madsen's characters' victims. And so these girls are going out on the town, and Virginia Madsen's decided to take the car and go and hook up with her douchey uh, DJ boyfriend and not tell the other two girls. So now they don't have a ride. So who shows up but Clayton Roner, who is a driving instructor that also met her at the pet shop and thought they had a date that night. And they kind of trick him into like, oh, we're going to go meet her later, you know, so just give us a ride. And he's got this nice convertible that he's borrowed. And so they go out in the town and it's just this thing where they're at first not interested in him at all. And then slowly they become friends throughout the course of the night. Now, the other thing that's really interesting about this movie is that Clayton Roner plays a dual role as this guy. (laughs) And then this other character called Bruno X, who is like basically an MTV hot pop singer, rock singer, uh, who has like jet black hair and is British. And so it's great to see him in that dual role. But I've so, definitely not seen this movie. Uh, I would dude, remember that. that you moment. would. It's great. And it's just yeah. a, another part of the cult appeal of it. Yeah. But so like, you know, Clayton Runner's sitting on the couch waiting for the girls to get ready and the Bruno X video comes on. Of course, Bruno X is in L.A. that night, and Cynthia Gibb comes across him, and they connect. And then the whole thing is they get separated, and they need to find Bruno X again. But they have this great adventure throughout the night uh, in L.A. So it's kind of a one crazy night kind of movie. But just great chemistry between all of them, but certainly between Clayton Roner and Daphne Zuniga. Really good stuff. Who made it? Uh, This guy, Jerry Kramer. I don't know this director that well. I know he's done some other stuff. (laughs) that I think we've seen. He's a producer on Moonwalker. I, I don't, this is the main, this is the main um, movie. He did a lot of music video stuff, it looks like. Yeah, Michael Jackson stuff. Aerosmith, let's do, let the music do the talking. Video shorts. John Fogarty's All Stars TV movie. You know, so he's not really a guy that huh. I was aware of outside of this movie. But for this one alone, he's he's got my heart, really. But yeah, I, my wife, this is one of those movies where I think my wife is sick of it uh, because <laughs> I watch it so much and I, I'm trying to get my daughter into it. And uh. It's just a really sweet movie and has a really great use of a Depeche Mode song. so great towards the end of the movie anyway isn't that amazing how much like the use of one song in our memories will kick, bring us back to a movie totally especially if times. it's if it's the song of the movie and you love the movie then the two become interconnected and yep. it just it anyway i love modern girls i know it's got a cult following but i know a lot of people haven't seen it it's one of those 80s movies that definitely you know Here's the here's the cover. It's got this like Art Deco cover. Yeah, I've definitely so, seen the cover. Yeah, I, I totally don't have. think I've seen this film because yeah. I think I'd remember. Totally, but I love it. That's my number three. 
Okay, my next one's interesting. Um, this you'll like this. There's, you're you're part of the story. Uh, this is a movie that kind of like how you told me how you push chilly scenes of winter. I have a friend who I'm now pushing to see chilly scenes because I believe genuinely will be his number one of all time. Nice. Because it's like, it lines up with everything he likes. He's a, he's a big fan of Ice Storm. He's probably listening. Uh, I grew up with him in New Zealand, Alex. Uh, he, he lives here now. He, Is he, he the one that the Shining story? Does this go back yeah, to, yeah, he yeah. didn't like the Shining? The next? When he was a kid. And yeah, now it's yeah. his Okay, movie. just wanted to remember that. Yeah, just to, just to rub it in if no, you're no, listening. No, 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 I just want to make sure. I, I will say thing. his uh, number one, uh, the film we discovered together was um, Modern Romance. And so he's also the big fan of that. He's our um, but this is interesting. So he saw a movie about, oh, it's not quite 10 years ago, but it was a long time ago. And I remember at the time, it was something super rare. It came on TV one night. He told me about it, and it's like became his favorite movie, besides uh, some of the ones we've talked about before, like Ice Storm and things like that. And he raved about it to me, but I could not find it for the life of me. And I then found that it did exist uh, only to be able to watch on Amazon, literally the only place in the world. I discovered this a couple years ago, but didn't get to it. Then we were doing this episode, and yeah, I was like, you know what? I gotta check out that movie that I that he always talked about, just in case it works for this list. That was a first time watch for this. First time watch, Love and it. it will probably I would put money on it. That'll be my number one discovery on your list next year when nice. I do my film discovery. Nice. But here's the most fun part of the film. I thought for sure, like this is going to be so random. Even Brian won't have seen this one because this one is like next to impossible to find. It stalked you on Letterbox, and you had reviewed it. <laughs> so, so that's the fun part. So we'll actually be able to have a conversation. This nice. movie, like literally, I was watching it, and my wife walks in, and she's just like, "Oh my god, what are you watching?" And then she watches for a few minutes. I tell her Alex loves this movie. She goes, "Of course he does. He he looks like the freaking character." Get ready for the tagline to see if you can get it. He went looking for a man for her and found himself. Oh, fuck. I to know. To Find a Man by Buzz Kulik. Oh, yes. 1972. Yes. Written by the writer of Tucker, A Man in His Dreams, that you just talked about. Missed that. Arnold Schumann, yep. A friend of mine from school met this guy in Puerto Rico. Now she's going to have a baby. So what we need to do is to find a man. Well, you can tell your friend that I just don't happen to know where she can find a nice, friendly abortionist. Uh, this is a movie that is so freaking impossible to find. I mean, it's almost like it's off the planet now. This is a, it played at the 1972 con, which is pretty amazing because, you know, at that point, American films weren't often the this was Americans, America's entry for con. What is amazing about this movie? And don't just take it for, oh, it's Ulrich raving about another movie. No, no, take this seriously. This, when I watched Good Time last year, my comment would be like, oh, it felt like the Sydney Limit film that fell off the back of the truck. Well, this is the Hal Ashby film that got lost because this film is comic, it's smart, it's sad, it's like brilliantly acted by two actual teenagers, like actual teenagers going through a uh, Pamela Sue Martin. Oh, uh, you know, so you good. know, yeah, exactly. She she was in freaking high school. Her last year of high school, she left high school to be in this movie. Uh, who went on to be in Dynasty, Poseidon, Adventure Storyline. But the guy who looks like my friend Alex, uh, who he'll love this that I'm saying that is the uh, kind of nerdy guy who's the center of the film, uh, Darren O'Connor. I mean, uh, who really appeared in nothing else. I mean, actually, if anyone knows listening to this, what happened to him as an actor, I couldn't even find out on Wikipedia. I was looking everywhere. There was no real trail. He did this movie, and he's really natural and funny in it. Uh, Lloyd Bridges plays her dad, and he's amazing. Oh, as, I totally forgot about and that. And he has a scene where he's just like befriending the kid, and it's 
fucking hilarious. They're having whiskey together, and he's just like, they're just being men. But that relationship changes. Tom Bosley from Happy Days plays like the local doctor uh, who, uh, you know, he gives advice to. But basically, it starts, it also touched me because it also would pair perfectly right now with like Lady Bird. It actually had a couple moments that reminded me, but because it opens on a Catholic uh, Catholic school, and she's clearly this, you know, young 16-year-old Pamela Sue Martin has clearly just gotten pregnant, but they treat it so like just matter of fact. So her and her friends are reading books and every, the opening montage is all the different ways she's trying to get rid of the baby. So she's drinking like gas, you know, some sort of gasoline concoction. She's jumping off like high places I to totally try to rock it. About that it's, darkness. But it's hilarious, yeah. like, because they're so innocent. They don't know what the fuck they're doing and you don't know how she got pregnant. And there's all these nuns around have no idea what they're doing. I think everyone always brings in the Bible and then you open it and it's got all these other sordid contraptions that they're trying to get rid of this pregnancy. But the matter-of-factness, that's why it only reminds me of Hal Ashby, the matter-of-factness with which they treat the idea of abortion and trying to, uh, an underage girl trying to get rid of a pregnancy is so straight. A matter-of-fact, nothing hidden. It feels a thousand times more honest than something that would be made today, which is shocking to think that we've become more prudish in a way. But basically, so she's uh, leaving a high school. She fails to get rid of it because none of them know what the hell they're doing. They don't, they're so naive. She goes back to her family's house. It's about to be Christmas. When did you leave for Acapulco? Three or four days, I think. And then you come right back to school. Don't you think I know that? How are you, Mrs. McCarthy? Very well, thank you, sister. Sweetie, how are you? Okay. You look terrific. I think you lost weight, didn't you? Oh, you sweet, my baby. Oh. You hate that, right? You hate that, huh? Get the bags, girls, okay? You're taking Maxine with you today, Mrs. McCarthy? Yes, actually, her mother was supposed to pick them up this time, but she's an actress, and their schedules are so irregular, you know? Well, goodbye, sister. Have a happy holiday. Goodbye, sister. Goodbye, sister. Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. Come on, girls. Hurry up. Get the bags, neighbor who is also her best friend kind of growing up the guy who you know has always had the, the nerdy guy next door who helped her with her homework but also has like the biggest adolescent crush imaginable on her and that's what his whole life has been when she's around she comes back and says you know i have a friend who this happened to she's playing that kind of game his parents that's why it also feels hellish because his parents have, have gone away for a few weeks so he's got the whole house to himself and he's that's got right, this, yeah. this maid character who's hilarious and and kind of uh, you know kind of gets in his way but also helps in a sense she says you know, I need to do something because I'm about to go to Puerto Rico and then I'm going to have to go straight back to school. So I've got to get rid of it like today. We've got to do it. Like, it's this really funny, like only a young person could think in this way. And uh, he obviously sees through it. And that's basically the whole movie is this young uh, guy trying to figure out a way to help her. And, and it's really kind of a beautiful story because, yes, it's all out of sexual desire for her. Like the, the deep, deep within the film, that's why he, he's probably driven initially. And that's probably why the tagline says he went looking for a man for her and found himself because through the process of trying to help her and also having these very adolescent uh, romantic feelings. So that's why I love it because it's, it's a romance in the sense that it's a one-sided view of what can over really overshadow your whole youth as just these feelings you have even unreciprocated for another person. And then at some point you're going to grow up 
or you're going to change loan. This movie's really kind of charts that shift, um, but it's it's also really touching of you know sign of friendship because he really is also trying to help her. And I don't want to ruin where it goes and the kind of kind of um, encounters they have to do along the way. But what I will tell you, it's 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 never treated gr- gratuitously. Uh, they talk about sex in a frank and funny and teen way. Like his friends, the, you never see teen sex comedies. The friends he has are the grossest looking dudes. They And all they talk about is getting, I mean, they'll see a girl walk by and they go, do you think I could feel her up? I mean, it's just so gross, the kind of friends he has in this movie, but it's so real. Like you remember back to being 16 and some of the people you might have like, uh, you know, hung out with or who, who didn't know what the hell they're talking about. This is an um, incredibly original feeling film. Uh, and I love where it goes. It has a kind of an ending that is kind of sweet, bittersweet, coming of age, but also like you know, really, kind of really gets you. And this, and and I have felt the same way when when you introduced me to Chili Scenes. It was like, oh, cool. This is why I stay a cinephile because yeah. every year I get to see something that was like I maybe knew about or was on my radar, and then it delivers. It delivers in a big way, kind of the way The Landlord delivered last year, yeah. having been one of the Ashby's I hadn't seen. And, uh, yeah, I have to find out what happened to this Dar- Darren O'Connor. But uh, the director, Buzz Culloch, you know, became very interested in what he did because he's so deft at working with these young, young people. But, you know, he did Brian's song. He did Bad Ronald. He, oh, he wow. did a lot. I knew had, I knew that name. He yeah. had a very varied career. I, I, there's not much of a pattern to it. But, you know, this film, and no, I have no idea why this film is so hard to find and so on amazon it's streaming it's not great quality like yeah, it's it, sd you can get it on voodoo as well yeah it looks like we're watching a vhs but man it was totally worth it for me and if you like films from this period this top of your list if that's your if that sounds like your bag but well, you know who turned me on to this movie uh I, larry karaszewski yes, i'm gonna did. guess because yes, as soon did. as i looked you up i looked up to find a man and it, it, really there's only not even a real trailer up uh there's like a tiny clip of the opening and then places that say you can download the whole thing and then there was Larry talking about it. This was actually a big studio film produced by Ray Stark's company and released through Columbia Pictures but it was dumped upon release in the US and sadly never available on VHS or DVD. The movie is directed by Buzz Kulik, a master of television. He directed Brian Song, Babe, uh, Bad Ronald, the Lindbergh kidnapping case. There was nobody better in the made-for-TV movie genre. He was great with actors. He gets a lovely performance here from Pamela Sue Martin in her film debut. She left high school to make this picture. It's a very complex role. The character is intelligent, yet superficial. Good-natured, but not above using her beauty and charm to take advantage of a situation. I've always had a fondness for Pamela Sue Martin. Best known for the Poseidon adventure in TV's Nancy Drew. But more interesting to me is how she used her teenage stardom in some rather offbeat and unusual films, like this one, Buster and Billy, and Our Time, another 70s teen film with a pro-abortion subplot. So, yeah. which was super cool. So maybe we'll have a clip of that. Yeah, we got to play a clip uh, of Larry's tra- trailers from hell. But Larry he, he probably movie. feels, yeah, very similar. It, it does. It literally feels like you just discovered this like lost Ashby film where you're like, oh man, like I, I forgot. I thought we would have run out of these kind of gems, you know? Yeah. But this, the performances are so great. And That's it, such a great call, man. And yeah. it's so rare to see films with actual teens playing teenagers with teenage problems. And when they get it right, it's there's nothing better, you know, rather than seeing 22 year olds, you know, doing it. Well, the one movie I was I'll. I was going to say for my honorable mentions, but it feels appropriate to mention it here is Jeremy. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one with Robbie Benson and Glynis O'Connor. Hmm. My grandfather's name was Jonas Rockman. And when he came to this country from Austria, they were asking for names. Anyway, he thought he was supposed to say his last name first and his first name last. So he said, Rockman Jonas. See? 
Somewhere along the lines, Jonas became Jones. That's it. Hey, are you making this up? No, really. So I guess I'm really Jeremy Rockman. Rockman. I guess I'll call you Rock. Which is very much about two teenagers dealing with falling in love and then having to split up. It's actually a pretty sad movie, which is part of the reason I didn't pick it, but it is a great movie, mm. really great. And again, talking about what you're talking about, which is young people playing young people. And Yeah, and I feel like we've seen the scenario of like, oh, a guy and a girl are in love and then they get pregnant and then they have to like work together to get rid of it. But I love about this movie is like, he's nothing, he's not even the father. And so everyone obviously thinks he might be, but he's just yeah. her friend. Yeah. I mean, he would love to jump her bones. That's that's the vibe you <laughs> well, get. She's adorable. She she's is. So yeah, cute. yeah, she's super cute. And he's like, you know, he does look like a, a bit of a dork, but he's also really resourceful and um, very smart character. Yeah. Anyway, highly recommend this film. Absolutely loved it. And it's kind of like a, a realistic depiction of uh, what you think is romance and it probably wasn't romance. Yeah. Which I think is an important lesson of uh, that we have to learn. Yeah, that's a great discovery to put out there for people to you know try and find because i mean it was for me i mean honestly i was floored by how much i liked it i trust his taste don't get me wrong and i can't wait for him to see chili saints because i've been telling him he hasn't seen it and i keep saying it's gonna knock you're on your ass no based on what i know of that movie versus chili i can't imagine it wouldn't yeah. line up in oh, some yeah. way there you know totally, totally agree all right my number two one of my favorite movies of all time and one that i've surprisingly not brought up on the show yet to my knowledge and that's the heartbreak kid from mm. 1972 elaine may neil simon wrote it Elaine May directed it, The Heartbreak Kid. It's just plain old-fashioned corny lingo, sir. Uh, I have fallen head over heels with your Kelly here. Uh, it just, you know, it didn't take me long to make up my mind. One good look did it, actually. I said you're lying in my spot. Oh, you are this terrific girl! You are this terrific girl! <laughs> now, there is a slight complication. Uh, I happen to be a newlywed. We're coming, Miami! Miami Beach, here we come! Here we come, Miami! Miami Beach! You may have seen her around the pool. Lenny! She's a nice girl, but just uh, not, not, not really my type. Just a fantastic, another movie I rewatched for the show, and still... It almost doesn't, it fits the romance, but it it's tough. Okay, the idea is basically that Charles Grodin plays a guy. He's a sports, sporting goods salesman. He meets a woman played wonderfully by Jeannie Berlin, uh, Elaine May's daughter. And they get married and they take their, you've seen this, right? I don't think I oh, have. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Okay. And I love Grodin, so I don't we, know how this dude, is Dude, I'll watch this with you anytime okay. and you'll fucking love it. I mean, you'll love it like Chili Scenes love it. Yeah. It's just so fucking, okay. So they go on their honeymoon down to Miami Beach. And first day in the car, he starts to notice things maybe not right. <laughs> you know, the way she eats egg salad in the restaurant. Oh, shit. So it's like a little phantom thread. In there. Yeah. So so he's, so basically, he gets down to Miami Beach and he's kind of like, oh, fuck, what did I do? You're starting to see that in him. And then he, this ties into last week's show for you. Um, while he's on the beach, the first day she gets totally sunburned and so she has to stay inside but but before that he runs into Sybil Shepherd on the beach uh -huh. and she starts flirting with him for whatever reason and so when she's sunburned the next day then he ends up seeing her again and then he starts to fall for her so basically the dude's on his honeymoon he's falling for this <laughs> other girl and there's complications because she's younger she's in college and her dad is played by Eddie Albert and he's like a rich banker and he's like who the fuck is this guy get the fuck away from my uh -huh. daughter but so what ends up happening that's so funny is that he starts in his head 
figuring out how he's going to end the marriage. And he starts coming up with these lies to tell his wife while she's hung up in the room, all sunburned, so that he can go and hang out with Sybil Shepherd, which makes him sound like a true bastard, which he yeah. really fucking is. Yeah. But it's Groden, and he is incredibly funny. Like, he tells yeah. some stories to her that are downright sociopathic as far as how detailed the lies go. Lana? Lana? You up? What do you want? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you watch the news? We were in a big accident. Wilmer was driving me over here about 8.30 when a big oil truck plowed right into us. I'm all right. I just got shaken up a little because I had my seatbelt on. But the truck is still burning, and Wilmer's car is a complete wreck. A complete wreck. They checked me over at Miami General. I'm all right. I don't want you to worry. I'm perfectly all right. I didn't hear anything about any accident. That really surprises me, because there were reporters all over the place. The oil companies must have paid them off to keep quiet. My back is a little sore. Wilmer may lose some teeth. They're not even sure yet. Truck plowed right into us. Incredible. What Wilmer does have is a terrific lawsuit because there were 10, 15 witnesses. Have to be in court tomorrow at 7. 7 o'clock? What courts open at 7 o'clock? Florida courts open at 7 o'clock because of the weather down here. No use you coming because I'm going to be signing affidavits and things all day long. My back is really sore. I sat here all night. You could have called me or something. Honey, how could I call you? I was pinned behind the... Yeah, I was pinned in a 68 Chevy. I mean, it took him an hour to, to get us out. How could I call you? Were you really in an accident, Lenny? You think I'm making it up? My God! My God! You think I'm making it up? Talk to the patrolman who pulled me out of the car! Talk to patrolman Greer! The man that pulled me out of the car! I didn't mean it! I didn't mean it! My God! Well, also, like, it's Sybil Shepherd. Yes. So, well, there you go. So, I, you know, I can anybody, understand. But um, <clears throat> not to give away too much, but uh, this is one that I saw on a list uh, that I may have mentioned this vague magazine list that I saw years and years ago. It was part of David Russell's underrated movies that he liked. Hmm. He mentioned Shampoo and he mentioned this one. And he said both of them have what he calls unsettling 70s endings. And I won't give away the ending, hmm. but it isn't necessarily a happy ending. It, it definitely plays into a place of like... You know, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to go too far into Who it. Who made this? Uh, Elaine May. Oh, it's a May film. Yeah, oh, so the, the other May film that almost made my list was A New Leaf, yeah. which is another... She's getting some love now. Yeah, which is a great movie. Got a nice Blu-ray set from Olive. Um, but I just thought I'd go with this one. Again, it's based on, <laughs> based on a story called A Change of Plan, which I like. <laughs> the screenplay is by Neil Simon. It's actually oh, okay. my favorite thing that Neil Simon's ever yeah. written. Um, I like his plays, but this this feels like, because of Groden, it just feels like a whole other thing. But he is fucking insanely good and so funny. I won't go too much further with it, but yeah. It, it, uh, I'm dying to see. This will be the one from today that I rush out to Yeah, this see. could be another discovery that I think yeah. you'll dig if you like. If you, but yeah, this one, but just watching it again, I was, I was sitting, I was actually homesick. And I was sitting in bed watching it, and I was still fucking laughing at at the shit that he does and the things he makes up to to talk he's to. A funny guy. He's incredible. Yeah, he's yeah. really incredible. That guy. So. Except he's not funny in Rosemary's Baby. 
That's the only one he's not funny. True, but but I think he's one of the greatest comedic oh, yeah. actors of all time. I think between that and Midnight Run, Midnight Run is just pure gold. I mean, dude, yeah, one this is this is another reason I know that you'll love this movie. Okay, you know? yeah, that's that's shooting to the top of my list. Uh, this is a movie I never thought I'd make it onto this list, but I've been waiting since we started the show to bring this movie up. Another, weirdly enough, another story with that same friend of mine, Alex. Uh, we we're living in New Zealand, and we had had a film in the, that film festival, the New Zealand Film Festival, and one of the women uh, who she lives in. France, but she picks a lot of their movies. One day she sent us a videotape taped off TV, and all the package didn't have a title on it. It just said, you guys have got to see this. You will love this movie. (laughs) And it's super weird. And we're like, oh, what is this movie? And we put it in, and it was the first time we had ever seen His Kind of Woman. Do you mind if I join? Seems you have. Hey, you sing pretty good. I thought I'd buy you a drink. I'm drinking champagne. I'm hip. $18 a bottle. Not for me. Champagne's not your drink. Only on big occasions. And this isn't? Can't be. You're waiting for a chartered plane. Are you in the oil business, or are you just spending your alimony all at once? I'm what you'd call a spoiled child of the rich. How do you do? I'm what you call a spoiled child of the poor. Senorita. It is here, Senorita. You sure it's the right one? See, si, the pilot is my friend. Just a minute. Gracias, muchas gracias. You sure you want to go now? Mm-hmm. You chartered the plane, didn't you? You can wait. But I can't. Wait a minute. I forgot your bottle. You keep it. May have a little resale value. Oh, yes. And the reason why, A, A, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, but B, it's also the film I least want to try to explain the plot of in the history of movies because it is the most bonkers setup to a movie. Every five or ten minutes in the first, like, 40 minutes of this movie, I feel like it shifts genre uh, so it, or and, and throughout the film. And there's some reasons for that that I'll get to. Uh, but the reason this came back into my conscience, so we watched it then, we we're both like, what the hell is this movie? Then it didn't have any kind of real release for a long time. Uh, and then this year I got to see, uh, to get to take a friend of mine, Oren, to see this on the big screen. He's a big noir guy, but hadn't seen this movie. And seeing this on the big screen, we saw this with- oh, I've um, never seen it on the big screen. Uh, we saw it at the New Beverly with uh, Thunder Road, nice. uh, which I hadn't seen. But man, this film blew it out of the water because it, this is such a crowd pleaser. Then Thunder oh. Road comes on and it's so kind of grim and, and sm- kind of small by comparison. Dude, it's not even close. I like Thunder close. Road, yeah. but it's not even close. But this movie, it, I mean, this is actually one of the best crowd films I've seen in a long time, especially for a classic movie. So basically, I'll try to do it justice. But Did you say who stars in it yet? Okay, no. And that's, that's, that's kind of why it's on the list. Okay. This movie, I'll be honest, we had spoken about at some point doing – uh, and, to, and then I'm going to say it because of Midnight Run. We, we at one point we're talking about like maybe a dynamic duo episode. Maybe that'll happen. In this film is one of my favorite dynamic duos uh, that I'll get to in a second. <laughs> oh my God, they're so good. Uh, but but basically this is Robert Mitchum, utterly peak, gorgeous, fucking just badass Mitchum, and Jane Russell, drop dead gorgeous. Mm. And this is pre Macau. They had this is their first on screen and. The reason this is on my list, there, this movie is a lot of different movies, and it could have made it a lot of different lists, but I love their chemistry so much. And this is about the romance, 
that can only be generated by true equals. These two people meet on the screen and they are each other's equals on screen. And I mean the dialogue that they get to dish out together. And then they also just, there's an instant chemistry between them where the second Mitchum sees her, he's drawn to her. Uh, clearly they want to be together. There's complications coming that I'll get to that are really funny. Uh, but let me go back a step. This is a Howard Hughes production uh, directed in quote marks by John Farrow and Richard Fleischer uncredited because, uh, of course, when you're in trouble, get the guy who directed Red Sonja. <laughs> and if he's not available, get the guy who did Mandingo. The same director, perfect. Perfect. Get the guy in the future who will make Mandingo and Red Sonja. So apparently Howard Hughes being crazy. There's no way that this movie should work as a whole movie because John Farrow directed the film, delivered the film. Howard Hughes watched it, ordered like a couple hundred thousand, which is the whole budget, of reshoots. Uh, Lee Van Cleef was the bad guy in the original. Cut him out. Reshot the entire thing because he wanted to put Raymond Burr in there instead. And Raymond Burr is freaking awesome in it. But still, I can only imagine Lee Van Cleef would be great too. Crazy Howard Hughes tinkering on this thing. There's and Richard. So Richard Fleischer, who was coming on to actually just refilm a new ending, ended up basically refilming the entire film. Did not know that. So we don't. So I have no idea without a historian or TCM to kind of walk me through which parts still remain. But I know a lot of it, and I know that Jane Russell doesn't like it as much as the thing she did first. You know, she felt like it was better movie. Whoa. And the first she was kind of like until because towards the end they add a lot of crazy like you know kind of thrillery moments uh, cross cutting that wasn't part of the original. She's like, what the hell was that? You yeah. know. But what's great about this movie, like I said, it really changes genres. And when we first watched this, we had no context for watching. We put in this blank tape. It, it, it's a fucking Twilight Zone episode at the start. It's like literally you have a there's a crime lord who's like hiding out in Italy, I believe, a mob boss uh, played by. Uh, Burr, who is to get back to America, like he, he's done, like people, he'll be arrested the second he gets in there. So what he's looking for is basically a body double about the same size as him who could be dead and found dead. So then he could take that guy's identity and slip back in America. And then it cuts over to Robert Mitchum, who's so it's, it starts as a really traditional nar. Mitchum is in a little bit of a hole financially, gets uh, kind of taken down by some heavies, taken to a, cri- a crime boss uh, kind of headquarters, and they offer him a deal, which is like, you know, go down to Baja. There's this little place in Baja. Hold up there for a few months. You know, we're going to give you $50,000. You get out of all your gambling debts. And he's like, uh, he knows. And he's not an idiot. He knows this is this is some sort of scam. It's too good to be true, but he goes with it. So at that point, it's pure noir. And then as soon as he gets to Baja, and it's this weird hotel complex, from that moment on, it has a super Twilight Zone vibe because you just don't know what kind of story. It feels like mistaken identities and all sorts of strange connections, connections are going down. Uh, on the way down there, he meets Jane Russell in some uh, bar at the airport, They're in, and instantly there's chemistry. She's a singer. She's traveling down there. We don't know why. He, you can tell he has a thing for her. They go down to the Baja. Uh, very quickly, we find out that she's actually the girlfriend of a world-famous actor who's oh one God. of the biggest celebrities. Like, I love that you've been holding this back uh, the whole It's time. so good. One of the greatest, might be my favorite role of his. I think it's mine. I mean, it's definitely a side of him we've never seen, which is Vincent Price. Comes into the screen like a comic version of Errol Flynn. What's his character name? Oh, my God. I've totally... Uh, Mark Cardigan. Mark Cardigan. Yeah, it's written down here. Yeah. Come on in, my friends. Come on in. Get a load of this. You never tasted duck in your miserable lives like this one a la cardigan. <laughs> Soaked in sherry with only salt and sage and pepper. And butchered by the chef himself, a la cardigan. Shot, my pet. Shot. Mix yourselves a drink while I put this on, huh? Pretty weapon. It's a gift from his fan club. Darling, would you set the table for three? 
I'll set it for four. You got somebody else coming? You have. Fine, fine. Who? A Mrs. Helen Cardigan. Fine. Who? Who? Your wife. Surely you remember her. Oh, here? She here? She here. Lenore Brent is her, a Mark Cardigan, and he is like the absolute most typical actor, insecure actor who everything's so about bad. his performances. And he's married. You know, he's come down here to cheat, uh, cheat with uh, Jane Russell, and he's promising it, that he's going to leave his wife. And he plays, but he's like so likable. He's a, what I imagine like certain Hollywood guys who are like fucking around doing terrible things, but you just, they're so endearing that you kind of, you, you totally just like are like, oh, it's fine. That's just Mark. <laughs> anyway, he plays, it's just, you know, if you're a Price fan, I've never seen. And to think of this guy and then like Witchfinder General, you're like, I'm sorry, somebody needs to give a reappraisal of the talent of that actor because that's two radically different humans. Absolutely. But this movie's so fun. And so he comes. And so besides the romance between Jane Russell and uh, Mitchum, who clearly want to be together, but, you know, Russell's still waiting for Vincent Price to leave. Obviously, things start to not go as well between them. He's still kind of hung up about the tabloids and his, and his wife. Uh, but the, there's another romance in this movie, and that is – like one of the really first true in my mind bromances. Nice. And I love when, when Mitchum and Price are on screen together, I am so in love with them as a as a couple hanging out in this film. Mind telling me who I'm shooting at and why? If this is one of your pictures, you could just step right out there and ask him. I'm afraid their guns are loaded. You know something? All my life I've suspected myself of being a phony. Half of it I've been acting. A hundred lives and a hundred stories, all phony. This is the only time the guns were ever loaded with anything but blanks. How's it feel? Fine. You couldn't know how fine. Is that what brought you out here? That's part of it. What's the rest of it? She did. She asked me to come. Huh? Are you in love with her? My wife tells me I've never been in love with anything, except myself. Who has? People have. You suppose I can go out there and bring him ashore? Who? The guy on the boat. Do you know him? From what Lusk said, it must be Nick Ferrero. Ferrero? It figures. What has Ferrero got against you? He likes me. He's the only guy who ever wanted to be me. Lusk knew that. That's why he's dead. I don't like the inference. Where does that leave us? In a lot of trouble. Until somebody knocks him off, it's going to be the short, unhappy life of Dan Milner. I'm too young to die. How about you? Too well known. Well, if you do get killed, I'll make sure you get a first-rate funeral in Hollywood at Grauman's Chinese Theater. I've already had it. My last picture died there. Good luck, Bucko. I'll keep Thompson and company busy. Like, Vincent Price is just all about having a buddy that he wants to take sh- pheasant shooting or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> on the island. He keeps wanting him to hang out with him. Mitchum's always like, huh. You know, Mitchum knows that he wants the guy's woman and is kind of, like, reticent. He knows he's also there for some weird... Because the reason it has a Twilight Zone vibe, but he doesn't know why he's there and he doesn't know somebody's going to meet him and give him information. He's just walking around up to people saying, are you the guy? And it's not the guy. So has a very strange quality uh, under all of this kind of uh, action. But there's, like, there's a scene where <laughs> Vincent Price screens his newest movie. I love that. All these old people and people who are like gambling in this town, and everyone's clapping and congratulating. You just see him go, "Yes, this is pretty good." You know, it's it's just pure like uh, he just kind of is in love with himself. Oh but but where the film starts to really take the kind of turn, and I you know there's I can never do this plot justice because it's just so bizarre. But you know, at a certain point, Mitchum finds himself in trouble. And the movie becomes a, 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 it literally becomes a swashbuckler 
it, it, like you're watching, you've watched noir, Twilight Zone, romance, and the last act suddenly it becomes a swashbuckler where uh, basically Vincent Price goes, "I'm going to go save him," you know, and and like tries to rally the local police to join him. There's a scene where they get on a boat and the boat just starts sinking. That's the image that always sticks oh with God. me from this movie is him and, sinking. And apparently that cost Howard Hughes a hundred and fifty thousand dollars of money that time. So that's like now a million dollars to just shoot that one wow. shot. Wow, I mean, that, that one yes, shot, that one scene. Wow. Uh, so it's so bizarre. Um, and this and then basically what happens is you know you think about Mitchum's star at that point being kind of the macho tough guy um, but really then this whole last act is about how Vincent Price's character who's an actor trying to become the things he played on screen and that's what's so funny about the movie he's so into like adventure and he wants to be like a character even though he's just an actor he just adopts that persona and then literally goes to try to rescue uh, Robert Mitchum who's in all sorts of action it, it, and w- this is where you can tell in a way that the movie's made by kind of different hands is the stuff with Mitchum about to be tortured is really intense and really like suddenly it's like a, a very different tone but I love it for all its tones like I can't explain it's one of the only movies in the history of movies that I know ha- has been heavily tempered and yet somehow I can't believe there's a better version of it you know what I mean it somehow all comes together that's what together. blows my mind is that she's like the other was better I'm like what yeah and I think she probably doesn't mean the chemistry between her and because probably those parts are still there you know what I mean it's yeah. probably just all the stuff in that last act also but, she's inside the thing I don't know that she knows like yeah yeah what we're seeing because that that is truly uh, we'll call it 100% PCP approved, oh, yeah because it's yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time mm-hmm. so i love that you picked it it's it's one of those films that i've been like wondering since we started the show how i was going to work it in i kept thinking oh, it'll be a duo but then when i was thinking about it w- watching it on screen this last time it was really the chemistry and and ultimately romance without chemistry is nothing i mean like you can have all the romantic feelings but that initial impulse towards a human that feeling you have in those first say few weeks is enough to maybe fuel a lifetime of where it's not going to feel passionate like that and these two characters have it the it factor i mean even the posters would say like the you know screen's most sizzling couple usually that's horseshit in this case it's not even sexual i get the feeling that in real life they're probably really good friends but they have chemistry and yeah. and and that seeing two stars at their height of the power and and i just i just love a lot of and actually i didn't realize that john Farrow, one thing he did direct was big clock which is yep. a you know fantastic noir. No, I like I like uh, Five Came Back. John yeah. Farrell made a lot of interesting films. So, so I don't. We'll we'll have to dig a little deeper to find out exactly what parts remain. But my guess is it's probably the build up, the setup is probably mostly him. Yeah. And a lot of that last act is probably all reshoots uh, by Fleischer. Um, but this movie, if you've never seen it, uh, and and you love noir, you know this is going to be one of the most surprising films you've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen Out of the Past and you're a fan of that, oh, yeah. I mean, jump this, on over. This is this is like not, this, there's no movie I can compare it to. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's movies. like out of the past but i'm saying if you like that Mitchum, no no totally totally you know yeah, I mean? yeah yeah no it's peak mitchum but like you know there's not many films that you can honestly say yeah i can't really compare it to anything because it's like it just goes in so many crazy directions yeah i forgot about the swashbuckler angle oh, of it. but he, that shot of him sinking is when i think of the movie so that's what i think of yeah no he literally basically becomes errol flynn in the last act that's he's so like i'm gonna be great. uh but yeah vincent price deserves some some sort of post posthumous award for this movie yeah <laughs> fantastic choice man fantastic all right my number one so we're coming full circle. Oh, yeah, we're already there, man. Full circle back to Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. You told me about the DGA podcast where Ryan Johnson interviews PTA. How oh, cool. I know where you're going. And so in that interview, he mentions this movie, which I had not seen and which I snuck in at the very end of last year and which uh, swept up to the top of my, it was my favorite discovery of the entire year. And I saw, and I do kind of like to find the, the favorite in the last days of the waning days of the year. It's called The Passionate Friends. It's from 1949. It's directed by David Lean. Hello, Mary. 
Howard, do you remember Stephen Stratton? Oh, yes, of course. How are you? How do you do? You don't know Miss Moore, do you? How do you do, Miss Moore? How do you do? How do you do? Uh, we met in New York, didn't we? No, Burn Moore, five years ago. Oh, yes, of course. Nice to see you again. Will you excuse me? These things get more crowded every year, don't they? Mary! Mary! Can we drop you anywhere? No, thanks. We're walking. Good night. Good, Good night, night, Mary. Good night. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You must dine with us sometime. We'd love to. Good night. Good night. Good night. You know, it's awful. I couldn't remember his name. It's Justin. He's a banker. High finance and that sort of thing. He's terribly rich, too. He seemed very nice, I thought. I hardly knew him. Are they happy? I think so. It's the sort of life Mary wanted, so they ought to be. Was she very much in love with you, Stephen? I used to think so. Anyway, she married him. He's the biologist, isn't he? I thought you didn't remember him. Oh, yes, I remembered. You didn't give that impression. One should never let the enemy know when he's being observed. The enemy? All right, then, dear friend. Enjoy yourself? Mm hmm I think so. I'd like these affairs better, I think, if I didn't have to dress up for them. Or work the following day. Be warm enough. Yes, thank you, Hard. It's available in Filmstruck. Yeah, so PTA talks about having seen that movie and how that, along with the story about his wife, yeah. were two of the big things that influenced Phantom Thread. I was really obsessed with Passionate Friends, which we've talked about. Which we watched, actually, the other night. Did you night. like it? It's extraordinary. It's yeah. a great film by David Lean that he made after Brief Encounter that, for whatever reason, nobody seems to know about. Even, like, diehard aficionados of David Lean or anything. I mentioned this movie to Ryan. He's like, what are you talking about? So, And it's... Uh, no coward wrote it, and it's it's got a great score by who I'm blanking. But um, anyway, you know that's a kind of classic English romance movie, and the score is it's it's, it's big and overblown, and that's not really exactly what we wanted to do. But we're certainly like let's let's grab some of that to put into this story. And he does definitely steal some stuff from it. There's some there's a New Year's Eve thing. And he yeah. likes sharing it with people, right? It's a movie yeah. he lo- wants to make people watch. Definitely. And and he and Ryan both were seemingly saying it was not available. And maybe it wasn't then, but now I feel like you can you can stream it on Amazon. You can stream it on Filmstruck. You can go see this. But they are right in that it doesn't seem to be well-known at all. I wasn't really even aware of it till they brought it up. I'd never heard of it, and I, I'm excited to see it. That was one. Yeah. I mean, so, so for those folks that love Brief Encounter, and I'm a big fan yeah, of that great, movie, yeah. that sort of love that is not meant to be kind of story i think i like this more than i like brief encounter and i don't want to build it up too much but the basic idea is that there are two people uh one of them is played by what's this actress and todd and she's great she's married to claude rains i want to say he's like he's rich i can't remember what he does if he's like uh you had me at claude rains i i love him as an actor so much i I think he's one of that's the the thing that pushes this over past brief encounter for me because i love yeah Totally. Uh, the, Trevor Howard, yeah. Trevor Howard's great. And Trevor Howard's in this Rains, movie, yeah. too. So anyway, um, she's married to Claude Rains. The beginning scene in the movie is like a New Year's Eve ball, and she runs into Trevor Howard. And it's an odd moment for both of them. It's kind of like, what was that about? And suddenly it flashes back, and she was the two of them were in love 10 years prior. And so then you've got sort of layered flashbacks dealing with their former romance and Claude Rains feeling a little threatened by it. 
and then happenstance of them running into each other again and seeing if what may or may not happen. And Hello, Mary. Come in. Am I late? Not a bit. The taxi men had trouble finding they me. They always do. It's a bit out of the way. In there. They've changed the name of the street. We had to ask a policeman in the end. Oh, Stephen, what an attractive room. Do you like it? Hmm. That's the comfortable chair. What would you like to drink? Whatever you're having. Sherry? Mm, fine. I didn't think you'd be able to come. I thought you might be away for the weekend. I nearly didn't phone. I'm glad you did. Lunch is rather difficult for me during the week. During term, anyway. Thank you, Stephen. Well... Lunch is nearly ready. I'll just have a look at it. You don't mean you're cooking the lunch? Certainly. I'm a wonderful cook. But can't I help? No, you drink your sherry and make yourself comfortable. You're still a very unexpected person, Stephen. How do you mean? Do all university lecturers cook? Only the biologists. <laughs> Are these all your things? Yes. They're well arranged. Did you do it? Yes. I never knew you had this photograph of me. What was so funny, I wonder? Me, I expect. Uh, I don't want to give away too much. I kind of want Sounds a little bit like um, maybe not the negative part of The End of the Affair, which is a movie that had made a big... The, the modern version actually had quite a big impact on me when I saw it. Yeah, I could see. There's definitely parallels between yeah. that. I like this more than yeah. that, but I do like that movie, yeah. But yeah, it's... Claude Rains really makes the movie because he has... There's some moments between him and Trevor Howard that are just really powerful. Two actors just like... Boom. Just yeah. really... I mean, she's great, too. Don't get me wrong. Like, she actually drives the movie. Because if she wasn't any good, then it doesn't really work. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, then it becomes that thing that I always tell my wife about, which is the um, unworthy object of desire. Right. It's one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. When a, when a character that someone is in love with, we don't buy it. You're like, I don't... Who fucking cares right, about that which person? which undermines the whole thing. Totally. And that's not the case here. You, Instead, she's the anchor. She is. She is. But Claude Rains is also an anchor, and mm. he really... He's really one of my favorite actors of all time. I'm and totally with you. I, you. When I saw Casablanca last year on uh, the nitrate print they screened <sighs> at the Egyptian, it's one of the single greatest screenings of my life because I've always loved the movie. But that felt like it, it was felt like seeing it for the first time. I can't explain it. It, it was like, not, and it, but discovering his role again in that, I was like, I, I remember my comment after that was like, they should literally reshape the best supporting actor Oscar in his form of that character because that's what it, it's for. Like, yeah. If somebody's giving a great supporting, that is what you do because yeah. he's hilarious. Oh, he's so good in that movie. He's, he's so great. But he's so good in, I mean, the Invisible Man is. Invisible Man's one of the best performances. I think that's yep. maybe my. My favorite Universal yep. Monster film. Um, what's like? There's a great film with him and Betty Davis that uh, slips on my mind on a boat, but he's fantastic in that too. Uh, uh, now Voyager. Now Voyager. Yeah, he's also great. That, that will probably. Notorious. I mean, yeah, Notorious God, is he's, fantastic. He's so good in that. Oh, it's a similar. There's a similar kind of thing going on between his mm-hmm. notorious character and this character you, you'll okay. notice some so this is the top of my list to see anyway just even before like after you mentioned that to me when i think we're i texted Panthers you back. after i saw it i was like holy shit dude, yeah this is no because i heard it in that same interview and i was like oh i haven't even heard of that that's interesting yeah i mean i definitely heard my share of interviews where somebody called out a movie and i went and saw it and i was like oh yeah it was pretty good but yeah but this was one where i was like whoa you and know. you saw it pretty close because I remember you had just you saw it before we went to Phantom Thread, yes, right? Yeah, I did. That's right. And then, and, and then I noticed some of the tie-ins, some of the Which things is he nice. did. Yeah. yeah, there's a New Year's Eve thing. And anyway, I can't recommend this movie enough. I was actually when you suggested the romance 
topic. I was like, fuck yeah, I can talk about yeah. passionate friends. I was waiting to, I was going to try and come up with a topic to, to bring up this movie. So I'm glad yeah. you brought this up so I could just, you know, slot it in. Awesome. Highly recommended. Yeah, no, just I'm, amazing. I'm excited. I'm, I love, I love these episodes where, cause it doesn't always happen with us because we've both seen a lot of stuff, but it's, I love the ones where there's a couple things I haven't seen that I really want to see. Like I'm jonesing to go see this. Uh, my number one will definitely not come as a surprise to the man across the table. Cause it's, it's come up in some conversations over the course of doing this uh other films by this director but this movie is the most alive portrait of love uh, and romance i've ever seen where both actors just feel like real people and that is minnie and moskowitz lovely directed by john cassavetes 1971 directing his wife the great jenna rollins just who's just utterly gorgeous in this film and one of his best friends in real life seymour cassell john cassavetes has a continuing love affair with people he finds them fascinating now he reaches into the crowd and picks a couple of rare originals. Seymour Moskowitz. Many more. Many and Moskowitz. It's that kind of a love story. Jenna Rollins is Minnie. Get more aroused, more willing to give of myself. Seymour Cassell is Moskowitz. When I first looked at you, I, I said, that, there she is, that's the girl. The reviewers and critics just flipped. Comments, Time Magazine. One of 1971's 10 best pictures. One of the few movies in recent times that could be called joyous. You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. From the Saturday Review, Minnie is the best made of the Cassavetes films. It is also the warmest. It's mainly being alone that, that makes me so irritated. From Newsweek, magnificent performances. Seymour Cassell is splendid. You got a way of looking down on me, of thinking that you're better than they are. Actually, you're just a girl with good looks. Says New York's Q magazine. Jenna Rowland's extraordinarily appealing. I wish she'd make a million films. You want to marry this bum? Go ahead and marry him. Get in the car. No! Get in the no. car. And from Mademoiselle magazine, it's a masterpiece of wackiness. No sense of you, absolutely none. Yeah, but you're disgusting. This movie, okay, well, the surprise about this movie is how hard it is to see now, Shit. which I was not aware of when I rewatched. I basically went to rewatch it a couple nights ago. I was sure I had it, looked through my stuff, realized no. Then I thought, oh, I must be in that Cassavetes box set. It's not part of the Cassavetes box set. Went on, uh, I went on. Uh, Filmstruck went on Vudu, went on Amazon Prime. None of them. Shit. Uh, I still is, have my Anchor Bay DVD. I've never sold it. Yeah, it's and, and I, maybe I have that somewhere, but it's That's not easy bummer, to find. Man. So hopefully, there's a reason. Hopefully, Criterion's gonna get on that to uh, realign this because this is a, this is a, weirdly enough a time where Universal was making it, had, it decided in the wake of Easy Rider. In like, as studios tend to want to do, they want to catch up, right? So, of course, Easy Rider was this hit. They were like, oh, shit, counterculture. Uh, so they started a division to make $1 million movies in hopes that they would, like, a couple of them would spark. This is one of those movies. So Cassavetti, unlike most of his movies where he's self-financing and uh, kind of, you know, mortgaging the house, uh, as Jenna would say about him, uh, in this case, it was a million-dollar budget from uh, Universal, and they— Quickly after the first couple films came out, they quickly distanced themselves from doing these, including this film where they cut out a key scene, which I don't know what it was. I can't imagine. But uh, anyway, this is a movie that I find just like so – of all his films, this is the one that surprised me the most. I think it might be my favorite. I, 
I have almost a tie, tie with this and the one I haven't weirdly talked about, which is Love Streams. Um, because Love Streams is weird yeah. and quirky and, and parts of it like are... That's up there for me too. Yeah, it's unusual, but this this is his the most heart is in this movie. Uh, it's, it's also... just alive in this way that only a, a Cassavetes can... Yeah. It's beautiful. He's got all the great things about the movies of his I love, you know, all the great things that we talked about, Killing of Chinese Bookie, the parts that feel raw and alive, but then there's also this heart and connection and the real star of this thing is seeing Seymour Cassell, this like it's it, it, there's something beautiful when you see a guy who's always going to be the supporting role, and then he gets a shot of being the guy, and there's something and 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 it feels like that actually fuels the character because the character is the kind of man who would be a supporting character in the world, and in and a woman like this life wouldn't be the leading man, and he's fighting to be the leading man. He's punching walls, saying, "I love you, goddamn it, I love you, fucking, I love you." you know, he's like he wants to get through to her, and she's so blind from what what society has she's a gorgeous beautiful model of a woman right and she thinks that, that means she should be with a guy in the same kind of uh, trajectory and she's there's something about his face that just feels off to her and he's got this big freaking handlebar mustache and seymour cassell half his face is a mustache you know you think oh, i'm an idiot stop it. huh God damn it come here seymour look i think about you so much i forget to go to the bathroom oh oh oh, oh seymour we have nothing in common i know it and don't look at me like that. I'm always going to look at you like that. I'm always going to look at you like that. I don't care if we're together 500 years. I'm always going to be excited by you. And to me, you're always going to be new. So that's it. And I'm telling you, I look at other women and I'm with them. And you know something? It's nothing. Uh, Simo, you're such a nice guy. Oh, bull. Let me see that face again. Seymour is not the right face. That's not the face I dreamed of. That you're not the guy I'm in love with. I can't do those dances. What dances? It's very important to me that I'm not humiliated in there. Well, don't worry about it. You're with me. If you don't want to go dancing, we don't have to go dancing, okay? Okay. Uh, and, and God love God love me. Uh, for those who are less familiar, he is the elevator operator in Royal Tenenbaums. There you go. Just to totally demean his whole entire well, career. Well, he's he's Max Fisher's dad in Rushmore. Yeah, I mean he's in tons, he, and, and he's in most of Cassavetes stuff. But it, you know, it opens where Minnie's basically breaking up with her boyfriend in the film, which is uh, Cassavetes, and he's abusive. He's like married to someone else. He's be- beating, he, like hits her around. It's pretty because she drinks too much. She wonders if she'll ever kind of find love again. Uh, she, she's on some like weird blind date that goes badly. I, Again, I couldn't rewatch. I could rewatch scenes for this because I knew I was going to be my number one, but I couldn't rewatch the whole movie, which was kind of a pain in the ass. But then, you know, she basically, what is he? He's a, he's a parking attendant. That's uh, right. And they kind of meet in this bar, and he has, for him, it's instant. It's like, oh, boom, this is a person I could love, and she's gorgeous and everything. But the whole movie is him trying to win her over, and it's so. It's just so funny and alive and vibrant. And there are scenes together, like, you know, we'll play a clip. There's scenes where, you know, he's trying to convince somebody of something and they just can't see it. And he, he you know, he kind of goes nuts and he's, he goes, you want me to cut my throat? I'll cut myself. He's like really going nuts. And then he just starts cutting parts of his mustache. He's like, huh, I'm cutting my mustache. And then he just starts, <laughs> and seeing his face without a mustache is so weird because he's a, an actor you've only ever seen like that. But there's a moment where she looks at his face and it's a, it's a brilliant 
reaction because she does see something different in him suddenly. And, you know, there's just a subtle shift. I mean, you can't really spoil a movie like this. There's so much, yeah, so many no, beautiful it's... scenes between them. And a lot of it's improvised, obviously, or workshopped in the traditional Cassavetes way. But if Cassavetes as a filmmaker doesn't necessarily work for you because of some of those things, like Killing a Chinese Bookie, I think is pretty accessible for sure. That'd be one. But I think this is the other film of his that would be easiest to access, even if you had a wall up against the style, which clearly I don't. I love his work. I think Love Streams is close. Love Streams is, I think Love Streams quite is as, almost like his most crazy. Like, But you don't think it's more accessible than some of the other stuff? I don't know. Okay, all right. I mean, I guess I guess I don't know. I agree it, with you. This is the most, though. For Yeah, yeah I, th- I think these ones, I mean, Husbands is the least in a sense, even though I think it's amazing, but because of how certain scenes keep going yeah. past the point of, you know, no return. Um, and also it was always hard to see. Now, I would also say his maybe his most romantic, even though I think this is like one of my favorite romances on screen, maybe his most romantic film is Woman Under the Influence in terms of what it's saying. Yeah. It's saying to love someone who's hard to love is really pretty amazing. And that performance is easily one of the greatest performances yeah, yeah, yeah. by an actor of all time. Yeah, and, and including what Falk's doing. Well, he's doing great too, but her performance yeah, her is... Performance is mind it, 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 it actually reminds you know that that performance reminds me of what joaquin phoenix is doing in the master sure. in the sense that it almost it almost makes you think that's who the person is yeah like people would be concerned oh joaquin he's a, he's a crazy person yeah i remember thinking woman under influence oh maybe his wife's actually not quite all there and this is a film about that that's how yeah. good she is yeah, in that film but that's not not the case um anyway this film is made with so much love you know, his kids are casavetes and roland's kids are in it their parents are in it it's like it, and his friends who are all the actors there's something so beautiful and romantic let me say about cinema and about creativity to see a group of people making a film like this with their friends and family that could come out and be a you know make the box office top ten or the top ten of that year's critics list. You know, there's something really special and like about that that could still be done today if people wanted to. If somebody had that desire, I mean, PTA almost feels like he kind of could do that if he wanted to. Yeah. You know, I don't think a person can live without a philosophy. What is philosophy? Philos, yeah, in Greek means friend or love. Love and friend are synonymous. And. The study is, is uh, any alfi is the study of. So it's a study of love, and and uh, to have a philosophy is to to know how to love, and to know where to put it. Because you can't put it everywhere. You walk around. You got to be a, a minister or a priest saying yes, my son, or yes, my daughter, bless you. But people don't live that way. They they live uh, with anger and hostility and problems and uh, lack of money, uh, lack of you know. Tremendous disappointments in their life. Uh, so what they need is a philosophy. What I think what everybody needs is a, is a way to say, where and how can I love? Can I be in love so that I can live? So that I can live with some degree of peace. You know? And I, I guess every picture we've ever done has been in a way to try to find some kind of philosophy uh, for the characters in the film. And so that's why I have a need to uh, for the characters to really analyze love, discuss it, kill it, uh, destroy it, hurt each other, do all that stuff in, in that in that war, in that word polemic and picture polemic of uh, of what life is. And the rest of the stuff really doesn't interest me. You know, it may interest other people, but I, you know, I have one track mind. That's all I'm interested in is love. Anyway, I, I, this is a movie that if you haven't seen, I uh, can't recommend it high enough. 
it, there was never a question of what my number one was. This was it uh, in my mind. So uh, if you want to see some just like a, a crazy romance, I guess uh, I could, not that it has anywhere near as much life, but I think Punch Drunk Love is the kind of couplels, you know, where offbeat kind of two people who don't make any sense together, but there's something there. I, I mean, I love like, that movie too. Yeah, yeah. I really love it, that That's movie. a lot more controlled as but a yeah, movie. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's, that, this is a movie I, I, I'm, I'm such a big fan and it's so much fun to see Seymour Cassell get a lead role. You know, it's so different. Uh, than what we're used to seeing. Fantastic. So man. that's the top five, or that's my five because. Oh, you've got some. Uh, I could. I was chasers. just going to do some chasers for those. I've got who, a couple honorables. You go first. Yeah, um, honorables and chasers. Well, actually, one is. I actually have a. Weirdly enough, I have a chaser slash honorable that I couldn't do because it's impossible to get, and it's funny because it actually ties into Trevor Howard. Um, this is a film that I actually saw at Monty's, and I think there was a Blu-ray, a foreign Blu-ray, but not even a DVD in this part, and that is Carol Reed's film Outcast of the Island. Never seen it. What are you making? Paper chains for my husband's birthday. It's a surprise. May I help you? Of course. Does your husband like paper chains? Nina does. She doesn't get many parties here. When we go back to Singapore, I'll make it up to her then. It'll be different. I swear I'll never go over there again. And then I find myself waiting for her. Every day it's the same. I know all you're trying to tell me, but what am I to do? This garment doesn't stick very well. I suppose it's the damp. I see her all the days, all the nights. I see her every breath, every dance of her eye, every movement of her lips. I see nothing else. What else is there? Are you afraid of what she is and of what you might become? You do well to be afraid. I think it was on my, one of my lists for you a while back. Uh, it, oh, it is a Joseph Conrad story. Uh, and Trevor Howard plays a guy who's like, um, you know, in the shipping ports of Shanghai and things like that. And he, he somehow gets disgraced and he gets basically banned to an island, like, uh, you know, to, to an outpost where they're like, oh, well, you can stay here for a while and maybe we can get you back into the orientation. And while he's there, he ends up having this love affair or kind of relationship with a native woman. And what is her name? Because it's one of those, it's it's like a South Sea passion kind of movie. Nice. But, you know, what is it? East, her name is... Kirima, and I think in real life she has like a one-word name. Ah. It is one of the, like the scenes between them are the most hot, charged scenes I've ever seen. Without it being like cheap erotica, there is just something there, and she's got this very strong, vibrant look. This film would be in my top three if it was at all available. And I mean, in England, maybe. Like maybe our English listeners might not have it because it's a Carol Reed film. But here, zero footprint. So, well, that's kind of like Passionate Friends in a way. Like Carol yeah. Reed, high-profile director and a movie that you know not a lot of people are I thought about. this might be on Filmstruck, so I did check just before, and it wasn't yet because a bunch of Carol Reed films were. And look, if you're, you know, Third Man's one of the best films of all time, uh, Fallen Isle, so many, good, so many good movies. But this film's also shot gorgeously uh, but in terms of romance, it's like kind of a negative romance. This isn't like a positive movie. There's a lot of dark, crazy stuff that happens. It's actually a negative that he's kind of feeling this for her. Uh, and it really causes problems in the village and stuff. But man, is it like burn hot, which is super fun. So that that's one that was uh, was going to be my honorable mention. And then I'll, I'll give you some chasers. But you, you hit one of the honorable mentions. Um, all right. So I mentioned Jeremy. There's a movie called Lonesome Jim. My name's Jim. Annika. 
So you like working in a, a hospital? You don't find it too uh, cold and clean? I think hospital beds are more comfortable than regular beds. Are you our date? Uh, Mom takes me on all her first dates. You live with your parents? Uh, just up early. You want to come in? You could kiss if you want. I don't care. Girl's here to see you. Said she's a nurse. Brought a little kid with her. He's sitting right next to you, Dad. His name's Ben. Oh. Hi, Ben. Which is, um, I think it's Bashemi's directing fall. No, he did Animal Factory in between. It was Trees Lounge, Trees Lounge. Animal Factory, Lonesome Jim. It stars Casey Affleck. Not necessarily a guy somebody, everybody's in favor of, but it's a really, really great Basically, he's a writer from New York who comes home to live with his parents, played by Seymour Cassell uh-huh. and Mary Kay Place. And his brother's played by, oh shit, what's his name from Buffalo 66? Kevin Corrigan, no, Kevin. who... He's funny. He, he's, he's a dad. He coaches his daughter's basketball team, which has the best lame name of any basketball. They're called the Ladders. <laughs> That's the name of the team. So anyway, um, he uh, Casey starts to fall for this nurse played by Liv Tyler. And it's sort of, she's got a kid. And I saw this movie in around when it came out. And it was really close to where I was at because my wife had, a, you know, my son was, my stepson was that age. It was like right there in the pocket for me. And this one just all just missed my list. It's a really underrated movie, only available on DVD, not really available streaming, but really great performances all around. A bit of a downbeat movie, but it's got a lot of heart. Yeah, I remember liking it when I saw it. It's good uh, stuff. When good indies. And so here's a few uh, foreign chasers. I was going to just pair these up with the other picks, but once we got on the flow, I didn't. Um, and I'll just rush through them. Uh, some of them will be familiar to you. And each one's from a different country, which is kind of fun. Just to look at, you know, five different uh, visions. of To pair with uh, Heartburn, I got to go with uh, Milosh's film, Loves of a Blonde. Oh, uh, Check New Wave. Movie. It is hilarious. It's gorgeously shot. It's actually really funny. It's like a working class uh, young woman is in this like hick chick town and she sleeps with uh, a band member uh, who's who's come to the town and they sleep together and they have a hilarious scene when they're in bed where he says, you know, most women are like, they're curvy, you know, like, like a guitar, you know, they have the curves. You're more angular, you know, you're more like a Picasso guitar. <laughs> like that's one of the first things he said. She of course hasn't even heard of Picasso. Dude, uh, that has one of my favorite scenes in a movie where there's a giant gathering happening. I can't remember oh, yeah, if it's a yeah, dance yeah. It's, yeah, and it's some guys dance. send some drinks to a, to a table of girls and yeah. the waiter gets the table wrong. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. they set the drinks down. The girls are all excited and the guy's like, no, 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 that ta-. and so they have to <laughs> yeah. take the drinks. Yeah. It's, it's, like, a, it's a total amazing set. Piece. Oh my God. It's so yeah, This and Fireman Ball, he, he does an amazing job. His Czech New Wave films showed how Those should talented. be on Criterion Blu-ray. I just assumed they were. I always I, did. I don't think they are yet. Um, but what's funny about the movie, they sleep together and he kind of gets the hell out of there, you know, but in her mind, because they slept together, oh, we're meant to be together. So she leaves her town, takes her suitcase and just shows up on his doorstep in his town and his parents like bring her in and then slowly it's about it's it's almost like you slept together once and now she's expecting like marriage and it's really funny that's sweet great gorgeous movie. movie so that's a uh, check uh over to roy anderson who i talked about a bit um for songs from the second floor who became a real big surrealist he has a film called a swedish love story which is it would be i would definitely be pairing that with uh, to find a man it is like two teenagers look up the trailer when i talk about this movie it's just visual and it's like 
it's almost heart-wrenching and touching and beautiful just to watch these two young teenagers going through all the initial feeling. And I, te- I mean teenagers, like 14-year-olds who basically meet and slowly fall for each other and spend a summer together. And it's exactly what it says. It's nothing like his other films. This is the, this is the, it would be like the birth of a new, maybe a, he could have been like a, the, a Bergman, but instead he chose after this film to go in a totally different way and become like a mass surrealist, which is interesting. But it's, a, it's one of the best love stories I've ever seen. Uh, from Turkey, Germany, there's a film called Head On by Fadi Akin. Uh, that film, that director has a, he's nominated for Oscar this year in the foreign films for a new film with Diane Kruger. Uh, but this film is just fucking, this This one was going to be my normal five, but one of the problems when we choose five, sometimes the foreign ones are harder to get clips and stuff. This film has so much energy and intensity. It's basically, there's an actor called Birol Yunul, and he's literally Turkish Kinski. I mean, he literally <laughs> looks like Klaus Kinski. He's, he's Klaus wow. Kinski mix, mixed with Matthew Almarek, and I actually thought it was Matthew Almarek. Wow. At the start. Anyway, he is amazing. He's got a neck brace, and he's like out of his mind. He's basically <laughs> a suicidal, uh, or she's suicidal. Uh, she, she basically is trying to get away from her strict Turkish family, so she finds this crazy wild man who to try to marry him just so she can, and he expresses to him, it's just so I can get the fuck away from my parents and we can be. But then this actual relationship and jealousy starts coming this movie is made at times, this, in terms of modern movies, there's moments that are pushed to like 110 in terms of acting and like style. I cannot recommend, of modern, this is like 2004, of modern films, it's like, it'd make my top 50 post like 2000 movies. It's it's like a great film. And funnily enough, when I looked at, uh, when we joined with Pink Smoke and I saw their 100, I saw a reference to this movie and that was actually the moment where I was like, all right. This is gonna. This is a good partnership because if they love uh, head on like I love head on, then uh, then we're meant to be together. Um, and the last two, uh, Happy Together, one car wise film. It's my favorite one car wise film. And That's a good one. The obvious for an episode like this is in the mood for love. It's one of the most romantic and kind of beautiful movies ever made. But Happy Together is so unusual and so intense. Uh, and it's feelings and raw. It's uh, a gay couple who basically are taking a trip to Argentina and then their lives start to drift apart. Uh, Tony Lung, who's equally just amazing and chunking express. And then you put him in a, a, you know, a movie like this and suddenly it's, it's equally uh, alive, you know? And again, it's, I remember thinking when I was watching Moonlight, I bet you that last sequence of Moonlight, I bet you he is a big fan of happy together. And sure enough, he was, yeah. um, this is an incredible movie, stylized movie. And then uh, the last one, and I thought it was almost too obvious. It could have been high on my actual list, but probably the most romantic and um, greatest foreign uh, French film, Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I 
Jacques Demy, uh, the you know the main kind of outline for La La Land. Obviously, if you haven't seen it, it's the downbeat romance that can't actually come realistic romance. As in, you fall in love, then that person goes away. You still think about them, then you both settle, <laughs> and done as a romance <laughs> with Grant. You know the most with Wes Anderson color palette and every single piece of dialogue is sung. There are no songs, so actually it's just a straight script that is sung the entire film. It's a very unusual. I showed it to a, a class uh, a couple weeks ago not knowing if they, how they'd react and they they were really taken with it and I was glad to see that it could kind of hold up nice. but th- those are five like you know foreign films that if you're looking you know and I don't think we picked mainstream movies by any uh, you know but if you had seen all of those I feel something in there might um, you know connect yeah no that's good stuff man the foreign chasers <laughs> I am really uh, this this really turned out well I, I am very happy with uh, with your list there sir that you know it's funny it's like stuff. I think like even the first couple when we're, we're doing this it, you're like yeah no this is good we're making when we do our show we're, our show Shows are always fun, but there's something about once we both start getting excited about a film, I, I really enjoy it because there's a there's a moment where you forget that you're doing a podcast. You know what I mean? I, I, I had Absolutely. in the middle when you're talking. I think when you're talking about uh, the Grodin film, I get like I want to go home and see that now. So hopefully that translates to you, the listener. Hopefully you guys uh, dug this. I hope you find some romance in your life, whatever that is, even if it's a cat. Cats are special creatures too, and that's they're great to, to watch movies with. with. They are uh, dogs too, and uh, yeah, hopefully you're doing something special. Uh, you know around uh, Valentine's Day like listening to this yeah I mean we definitely wanted to put this out in time so that should you be inspired or looking to check one of these out yeah looking for something to watch around that time uh, by yourself or with somebody else Um, hopefully there's something here that strikes your fancy and let's uh, as our question for the day I'm going to put it out there Uh, I want to know what the worst date movie you've ever gone to with another person a film that might have a film so powerful that it might have undone a romance a film, you could have fallen in love with somebody, but instead you took them this movie. In my case, that movie was Happiness, and it was a girl I was in love with, and we had just kind of started getting together, and we went to that, and oh my God, was it painful. And I loved every <laughs> second of the movie, but man, I was in pain. Those are great stories. That's brutal. I'm down with this. So I would love to hear any terrible date movies. Yes. Um, so thank you folks for listening. Thanks to those supporting us on Patreon. If not, go check us out, patreon.com slash purecinemapod. And thank you to the nowplayingnetwork.net, our, our network. And uh, Supporting Characters, I think, just dropped recently a new episode, yep. our favorite show on the network. Definitely check them out. Yep. And uh, big thanks to uh, these new guys in our life, the Pink Smoke. Uh, and, uh, you know, check out the great articles and work they're constantly doing. Yeah. Uh, part of this is to keep the conversation of films alive yeah and that's I what mean, they're doing if you spend any amount of time at the pink smoke i'd be highly surprised if you don't come away with some recommendations a la what we're trying to offer you with this show so yeah. definitely and, dig in there and thanks for listening and we've got a really funny a totally different uh we won't tell you what the topic is but our next one's gonna be a totally uh left field from where we are uh with romance though romance could blossom in this place <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, di- it's a different uh, I'll, I'll give you a clue oh billy <laughs> And we'll end with that. (laughs) Very nice. Which will it be? Oh. Let me close early today. The salad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're just eating salad.
We should change it. it should two, the, two bros can't eat salad and oh, then do a podcast. We together. can prove that two bros can eat salad and do a podcast. Yeah, that's some <laughs> that's some shit right there. It'll show in the movies they pick. <laughs> you know, all the Oscar bait. <laughs>